welcome to episode 133 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today we are recording on May 29th, 2019. My name is Corey Motley. I am a staff writer at GameCritics.com. I am also 50% of this show. Joining me, as always, is Brad Galloway. He is my partner in crime for every episode. He is also the editor of Game Critics. How are you, Brad? I am doing good, doing good. I'm in a much better mood uh, than when we started recording, and I have you to thank for that. So I am primed and ready for the show. Hell yeah. As I was um, reading through that intro, this is a, a slight... I always do this whenever we start recording. I do like a tiny tangent at the beginning of every episode. Last week, I went out to lunch with a, an old colleague of mine who switched apartments um, a couple months ago, and she said that she's working on some like training videos at work. Um, I guess, I can't remember what she said they were for, if they were for students at the school or if they were for like incoming employees or something like that, but um, she sort of like sort of like sideways asked because she knows that I do a podcast and have like experience with you on the show and everything if I would be interested in doing like some voiceover um reading of like the slides because I think it's just like an animated slideshow or something like that so I thought that was kind of funny that she like is offering not it wasn't like a full-on offer but she was just kind of like putting her feelers out to see if I was interested in doing some like voice work at work so that's kind of like an fun side effect of this i told her that i had a secret desire to voice act for a character in a video game at some point in my life but not like a lead character who has all the lines just like a side character so maybe i'll get to like use this and that to sort of live out those dreams you would be a really good like supporting character like the dry person in the corner who's got like a snappy (laughs) one-liner or the person who's just like sick of it all and they're just really done with life and stuff or something like like a good like you need those characters to kind of add seasoning to, like, an ensemble. You would be great at doing that. Well, thank you. I remember when Mass Effect Andromeda was coming out, uh, Bioware held a voice acting, like, competition thing where they put out a couple of, like, one-page scripts, and you had to listen. Or you, you didn't listen to them. You just had to say the lines and send them in. And they were apparently supposed to cast somebody in Mass Effect Andromeda and, like, fly them to the studio and do, like, a whole voiceover session with them and, you know, give them the game for free and all this stuff. Um, And I came really, really close to entering that, and that could have been, like, my time to shine as, I don't know, voice actor or whatever. Um, And then I forgot because, like, the the thing, the deadline for it snuck up on me and I totally forgot to do it. But I had, like, downloaded the script pages and I had, you know, read them out loud a few times to decide because they had two different options and you got to choose which one you wanted to do. And I had, like, thought about it and, like, kind of run through them, like, out loud in my living room by myself. And then I just totally forgot to send my, I guess, tape in. So uh, I guess I missed the boat on that. But who knows? Maybe there's hope for me yet. You threw me for a loop there for a second because you said, I thought you were going to say I I came really close to winning. But you actually said (laughs) I came really close to entering. Uh, Big difference there. You had me going. I was like. I, I was like, oh, oh, did he? Oh, no, he didn't. He didn't even. Oh, never mind. Get out of here. <laughs> uh, whoops. You had me. You had me. But that just goes to show how effective your voice acting was. Like, I could hear the inflection in your voice, oh and I was God. just drawn Stop. along in your performance. Stop I was, it. I was right with you. So. <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> anyway, well, anyway. Yeah, before we jump into anything stupid, um, do you have any, like, housekeeping stuff before we jump into games? I don't have anything this week, so do you have anything? 
Uh, the only thing is I just want to give a quick shout out to my good friend Jeff Matliff. Uh, Jeff and I go way back, uh, from way, way, way back in the day. Uh, I talked to him now. He's become a professional. Never thought he would uh, straighten up and fly right, but he has. And he told me recently that he listens to the show and he often disagrees with me. Uh, so thank you, Jeff, for listening. And thank you for t- continuing to listen, even though you disagree with me almost all the time. What totally is, fine. Hold, what is he at home? Let, let's dive on this for a second. What kind of stuff does he disagree with you on about? He didn't say. He's just like, oh, I disagree with you on everything. So I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> oh, my God. That's not, that's not very valuable feedback. Uh, no, no. I mean, I guess I could probably poke and prod him for more information, but it was just kind of a funny thing. I think he and I often disagree. Um, we don't always, but we, we've had a number of really deep discussions about why I think something's great and he thinks it's shit or vice versa. So <laughs> that doesn't come as a surprise to me. And I, that's just par for the course. I love Jeff. He's a great guy. Uh, and we've been friends for a long time. So shout out to Jeff Matliff for listening. Love you, buddy. Excellent. I, I don't know him, but I recognize his name because he either used to be or is really good friends with Steve Haskey. Is that right? Yeah, they are very tight. They were Portland bros for a long time before Steve moved up to Seattle. And yeah, they hung out all the time. It was kind of just like Steve and Jeff, Jeff and Steve, like all the time uh, for a while. Um, not so much now, but yeah, they're still friends and we're all friends. We're all kind of like in the same vague circle of friends. And Okay, that's what I thought. So yeah, I've, um, yeah, Jeff, I don't know who you are, but if you're listening, I've heard your name in circles here and again because I am uh, friends with Steve and obviously I co-host with Brad every week so yeah even though I'm gonna just hope that because you disagree with Brad every week that means you secretly agree with me every week although Brad and I aren't necessarily debating the same games every week but whatever your feelings on the show thank you for listening and we're glad to have you and there we go that's all I got all right, perfect. Well, um, because I'm hosting, I and I'm such a gentleman, I'm going to pass off the mic to you to talk about um, some games. You've got some quick hits for us at the beginning, and I'm actually very interested in the first game you're going to talk about because I see it on sale on the PSN all the time, and I know it's pretty new, and I really want to play it, and I'm not, I don't want to dive in because I know you, we dm'd about it briefly on twitter the other day and no matter what you say about this game i still kind of secretly want to play it but i don't want to spoil everything so why don't we jump into your first game the first game is hong kong massacre uh save your money save your money do not buy this one do not buy this one uh i i i was in the mood for something actiony uh after i got off of like 40 hours of sekiro i'm like i gotta play something completely different i want to just change gears absolutely and I'd seen this one, and I'd had multiple people tell me, oh, yeah, this was really cool. There was no hype. It was really, really good. I liked it a lot. It's awesome. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. And you guys were all fucked up and wrong. Like, what is wrong <laughs> with you guys? You guys disappoint me. I believe I paid full price for this, which was $15. I mean, not a, not a king's ransom, but, like, that's a lot of money. Um, more money than I am comfortable throwing away, and I feel like I threw that money away on this game. Um, I'm very upset, and I wouldn't have done it if not for you guys' recommendations, so I'm kind of flipping you all the bird right now. You can't see it, but I am. Uh, So Hong Kong Massacre is a fucking mess. It's just like it's (laughs) top-down Hotline Miami, where it's like a third-person, top-down, run-and-gun kind of a game. It's it's literally the same thing as Hotline Miami. Um, You... Half, I mean, and okay. So, like, backing it up, what's the story about? I don't know. <laughs> I I think that I think that you're an Asian person. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure you're Asian. Stuff happens, and the cutscenes are so bad. They don't tell you anything, and they're grainy. It's like they've got like all these like 
compression artifacts going on. It looks like somebody's streaming it from a PS1 through like a, a like a like a modem or something. And I'm like, what is going on with these oh my fucking ugly videos? I don't I couldn't tell if the the game was broken or if they did it intentionally. Like the videos look so I I I could not tell you what was happening in that game story-wise. Um action-wise, literally the same thing as Hotline Miami. You can control this character you see top-down views of, like, rooms and hallways and stuff like that, and you just got to just kill some dudes. That's all you got to do. Uh, you can run with one stick. You aim with the other. You have a bullet time meter that refreshes, although it doesn't really slow down that much. And you have a dodge, which apparently you're invulnerable when you dodge. I guess so. I could not really get it to work reliably. And it's the kind of game where... The AI is so fucking hyper-tuned to kill you that, like, the moment, like, your your big toe sets foot in a room, like, literally everybody in that room swings 180 degrees and just, like, starts firing exactly right where you are, no matter what. So, like, it's hyper-lethal. Like, ridiculously lethal. Um, I just didn't like it. Controls, I didn't think were great. Uh, the gameplay, I was getting killed, like, all the time. Like, it was just really rough. I I didn't think the slow-mo worked very well. I didn't think the dodge worked very well. The guy's dodge animation is fucking clown shoes. Like, you hit the dodge <laughs> and, like, his body just ragdolls. And I'm like, is he supposed to be dodging? It looked like, like all the bones just left his body and he just, like, started flopping on the floor. Like, what happened? Um, and the other thing that really, the thing that really gets me about this game, apart from the AI being so tuned to kill you, is, like, it does that fucking thing which... I think Hotline Miami did it too, but I think they did it better where there's windows. And so it's really hard to tell what is a wall and what is a window until you get shot. And like, it's, it's hard to remember. Oh, was this a window? Was this a wall? And they kind of look different, but not nearly enough, not different enough to at a glance know what is what. And so I was constantly getting shot through windows because I kept mistaking them for walls. And I'm like, okay, this is just getting fucking irritating. Uh, I stopped playing that game in like probably 15 minutes, like maybe 15, 20 minutes. And I'm like, fuck this. It is <laughs> nothing about this is good. I mean, if you want to play this game, seriously, just go play Hotline Miami again because it is better than this game. Like this game does nothing that Hotline Miami doesn't do better. And I just was like, I just don't have the fucking patience for this. This is crap. Um, so everybody who thought this was a great game, I don't know what you were doing. Did you? <laughs> I don't know what made you think that. This game is garbage, and I'm mad that I spent 15 bucks on it. Corey, your thoughts? It looks to me... I, I mean, I still want to try it. Not like $15 try it. But if it went on sale for like $4, I might try it. Maybe it'll hit like PlayStation Plus for free or something at some point. Um, it looks to me like um, if you took um, Xbox 360 Classic stranglehold do you remember stranglehold Brad? i do i do yes if you took that and basically just put it in top down hotline miami mode and that it look it literally looks the exact same like when i saw it on the psn i was like oh is this some weird like offshoot sequel to stranglehold because it looks exactly the same except for it's top down instead of just like a max pain third person shooter is that an accurate thing to say I mean, yeah, but I think Stranglehold was a better game. I mean, I I wasn't a huge fan of it, but it was a better game than this. I just don't even understand why anybody likes this fucking game. Like, it is just it feels like this, <laughs> the most ramshackle, low budget, cobbled together piece of shit that just has like zero originality to it. I just like I don't know why anybody was saying this was a great game. I'm kind of just I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> don't I mean, if you buy this game for four bucks, I would be shocked if you put even thirty minutes into this game. I would be very surprised. So. 
you've heard it here. You've you've gotten the warning, dude. This game I've is not bad. You've you've been warned. <laughs> All right. Well, we don't have to dwell on it. I will maybe play it at some point. I have no idea. Um, if it goes cheap enough, I'll pick it up. I have been warned though, so I will not uh, take that lightly. Um, but we don't have to dwell on this. We can move on if you want. Yeah. Let me give another really quick dismissal um, to a game. It's, I mean, I guess it's pronounced Valhalla, but it's written out as V-A hyphen one one hall hyphen A. Oh, this um, is that bar game. Yes. Isn't okay, it? So I you saw know. it. I, yeah, I think I saw it on the Switch store, and I think I saw it, and I, like, literally turned to Patrick, and I was like, look at this. Like, this is some, like, anime bar, like, bartending game. Like, what the hell is this? And I thought it looked kind of interesting, but I can already tell from your tone of voice that you're going to be like, wow, this game's horseshit, and then we're going to move on pretty quickly. It looks extremely interesting. I have been very interested in this game for a long time because it looks very interesting. Looks like my shit. It is not my shit at all. (laughs) And this is another game where people had sold it to me for a long time. This game has been out. It came out on PC, came out on Vita. uh, It's been making the rounds. And like a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, this is a great game. The writing's amazing. Um, You play a bartender. That's really weird and different. Like, you got to check this game out. Like a lot of people have told me to check this game out. And I kept waiting and waiting and waiting. It finally hit the Vita, and I'm like, okay, this is this is my chance. This is where I want to check it out. I love... I'm not the Vita. The Switch. The Switch is what I mean to say. Sorry. Sorry for the confusion. <laughs> I thought it that's hit what the, you meant. Yeah, I hit the Switch, uh, which I think of as Vita Part 2, but that's beside the point. <laughs> uh, it came to the Switch, and I'm like, yes, this is where I'm going to play it. I'm going to play it on the Switch. This was like a good fit. I don't know why anybody likes this game. This game is awful. What you do is like you... <laughs> You click. You click a button. That's all you do. Like, you start off as a bartender. You talk to people. And I got to be honest with you, man. The writing really soured me from the get-go. I did not care for the writing at all. Um, A lot of it skews towards, like, a lot of, like, weird sexual shit, which I didn't think was very cool. Um, And the female characters were kind of giving me, like, really weird vibes. Like, not the females themselves, but, like, I could imagine... I don't know, just I got this real kind of creeper sexist vibe from it, and I just wasn't vibing on what they were doing with the writing. Um, the first customers that come into the bar, so these guys come into the bar, and they just start talking, and all you can do is just click. You don't have any choices. You don't do anything. You just let them talk, and you click, 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 talk, 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 dialogue, dialogue, click, 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 and I'm like, oh my god, this is getting boring because I am not amused by this writing. They'll eventually say, give me a drink, and they're really rude to you, and then what you do is... You look up in a book what drink they want, and then there's like six or eight ingredients. You just you just move your stick over and pick this ingredient, click, 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 three of this thing, two of this thing, three of this thing, shake it up and give it to them, and then they just talk some more. That's literally all this fucking game is. And I'm like, I thought there would be choices. I thought there would be like more drama. Maybe, you know, maybe I could choose who to serve or something, or maybe there would be more of a gameplay thing to it. No, dude, like you don't have a choice of anything. You just click text and you know do these little drinks which is like it's not even a mini game like it's not even a thing it's just like a a stupid busy work thing that you do and i was like oh my god why does anybody like this this is this is the most boring game it's not even, i mean <laughs> i'm not going to pull the whole it's not even a game cuz we're not going to have that discussion but like i was like oh my god like this nothing about this is fun and i was like there's got to be choices there's got to be branching paths or something like as far as i can tell you're just like reading the script and making drinks once in a while so fucking boring. I like. I wanted to eject like almost immediately. I think I played it for about hour and a half or two hours, and I was really waiting for it to take off. And I'm like, if I 
if I don't like this now, is it going to get better later? And literally every person's like, if you don't like it now, get the fuck out because it does not get better. <laughs> so I don't like it. The writing I thought was really bad and gross. And uh, it was just really not interactive enough. And I have no idea why people were talking about this game like it was something to check out. No, no, I don't. I don't understand why anybody like. I think it looks good visually. It looks very appealing to the eye. But man, that wore off in a heartbeat. I was so bored by this. I'm not going to finish it, and I'm going to delete it immediately. Do not like. Do not like. Is so? Is it meant to be more like a visual novel than like a game? Game. I mean, that must be it. But I've played many visual novels and enjoyed many of them, and a lot of the good ones have things for you to do like you talk you choose to which person you want to talk to or you choose which how you want to spend your day or you know like you know i mean i don't i don't play all of them but i've played many of them and a lot of them are way more interactive than this and on top of that the writing has to be good like this writing was really repellent to me like the very first guy comes in starts talking some sexist bullshit the second guy comes in starts talking some weird pervy bullshit I mean, like, asking me if, like, I've ever faked an orgasm and, like, all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, what, are, what is even going on right now? Like, why? I mean, <laughs> and my character is a female. So it's like, I just the weird dynamic of what was happening. I was just getting a creeper vibe. I just did not like it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess it's ostensibly a visual novel, but you're just clicking text. Like, that's all you're doing. And I think that the good visual novels do more than that. So I just, it, it felt like it to me, it didn't even clear the minimum minimum requirement so ugh, just boring it was so boring and just like ugh, did not like <laughs> all right we don't have to dwell on this one either cool 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 okay let me get to something good let me get to something good um i want to give two really brief shout outs uh to things that are on the switch that i actually really do like um have you heard of Cross, Corey? you must have heard of Cross. i've heard of it but i don't think i know exactly what it is okay so there are, I think, three P-Crosses on the Switch. I'm still working my way through the first one. It is a very chill puzzle game where you look at a 2D grid and there's numbers across the top and numbers across the side. And you look at the numbers and it's kind of hard to explain, but basically those numbers represent squares that need to be colored. So imagine a grid, looks like a spreadsheet or something, numbers on the top, numbers on the side. And then if you look at those numbers, you should be able to figure out with a little bit of logic uh, what, what squares you need to color in and which squares are not colored. And if you color them all in correctly by following the numbers, it makes a pretty picture. That's all you do. So I love it. I think it's great. Uh, it's very chill, very relaxing. Um, it, it does require some brain power because sometimes the numbers are not as simple as they seem. And you'll be like, well, I thought this is the square that I color in. Well, this number says this and this. But if you look at it really carefully, people tell me that every single puzzle can be logically solved if you just you know, follow the numbers as best you can, but there can sometimes be a lot of numbers and sometimes those grids get pretty big. So it can get a little challenging, but they give you hints. You can also check your work to see if you've gotten mistakes on the board. Uh, you can uh, skip puzzles if you want to. I just, I just love this mechanic. I think it's really cool. They made a 3d version a while ago. I thought it did not work very well because adding that third dimension just made it really hard to see and hard to work with. I think 2d is where this game shines and I love it. I mean, I, I it's been on uh, the, the 3DS, I believe, is where it first showed up. And I think it's great. Cross is wonderful. I recommend it to every Switch owner who has a hankering for some good puzzle action. I play two, three puzzles a night before I go to bed, and I just I love it to pieces. It's really good. So I love Cross. I recommend it. I will take that under consideration, although I probably won't ever play it. I mean, it's not for everybody. It's pretty chill, but if you want a chill puzzle game... Uh, or if you want another chill puzzle game, one that I'm actually really loving right now is called Hook. 
H-O-O-K. Another mega chill logic-based puzzle game. So it's, again, kind of hard to describe. And if you look at screenshots, you're like, what the fuck is even happening? I don't <laughs> even understand. You look at it, it looks like fucking abstract art. Like, you, you, you can't process what you're seeing. But once you play it, you're like, oh, okay, I totally get it. Like, I get it. But you have to play it before you can really finally just grok it. But, like, what happens is you have a bunch of lines and hooks that are kind of, like, stacked on top of each other. Kind of like if you... So imagine, like, if you had a bundle of sticks in your hand and then you dropped them on the ground and then the sticks kind of, like, you know, some were on top of other ones and some were under other ones and it kind of just made, like, a little pile of sticks, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, that's what this game is and some of those sticks have hooks on the end of them. So... The point of it is to remove the sticks one by one until the screen is empty. But because those hooks are there on the end of the sticks, if you pick the wrong one, the hook will catch on something else and you can't pull it out and you got to start over. So there's not really a trick to it. It's just about simple observation. You just look at the puzzle. And once you know how the game works, it's all just very like order of operations. I need to get these sticks out of here. There's going to be one that looks like you can remove it without tripping anything else. You remove that one. It disappears from the screen, which I think is great because then the screen gets less and less cluttered as you move on, which I think is wonderful, wonderful effect. Uh, and you just like you just you look at it, pick the next one, remove that one, move to the next one, pick the next one, and if you do it correctly, the stick the hooks never get hooked on anything, and you pull them all out, and then the screen goes blank when you're done. You get a very satisfied feeling at the end, and you've solved the puzzle. It's super straightforward, super logical, super chill. This is also another one that I play before bedtime. I do a couple P-Cross, I do a couple Hook, and then I go to bed. Um, really great way to unwind. I love this puzzle. It's 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 lovely. It's very lovely. Very simple, very minimalist, very elegant. I give it a big, big thumbs up. That uh, kind of reminds me of a game that I used to play. I don't even remember what it was called on the iPhone. It was like back like when I was in college on, the, on like my first iPhone, I played it. And it was basically one of those puzzle games where it was like you have like a board and there's a certain number of like, it's a, kind of like a grid, maybe like an eight by eight grid or something. And there's a number of like, um, not sticks, but just like objects, like wooden pieces looking that kind of take up certain amounts of space on the grid. And there's one opening on one side of the perimeter of the grid. And you have to like get one of the sticks through that opening and you have to like shuffle all of the sticks around in the grid and like take them back and forth and left and right at a certain order in order to get like the gate open to get that one like colored stick through. I probably explaining this really terribly, but that you talking about hook reminds me of that. And I remember like playing it when I would get to class early and I would just have like a few minutes before the professor got there, I would be like, Oh, let me open up this game and do this little puzzle real quick. Like try to get through some before, you know, the professor shows up and we have to start class. And it was just like the perfect little, kind of clever time waster that I never got mad about. And, like, sometimes the levels were hard, and they I don't think they had anything built in where you could, like... I think you could skip levels, but in the levels themselves, they didn't give you, like, a hint guide or anything. Um, so you hearing you talk about that makes me think... I wish I could remember the name of it. It's probably not even on the App Store anymore because it's so old. Um, but that just makes me think of that, just kind of like a nice chill, like... When you talked about observations of, like the sticks being on top of each other and you really have to kind of like look at everything in order to figure out what singular move you want to make is very similar to whatever game I'm trying to talk about right now that I can't even think of the name of. Cause you had to look at the whole board and think about, okay, if I move this, then that'll happen. And if I move this, that'll happen. You kind of have to like reverse engineer opening the gate in order to figure out like your first move to make. And it's hard for me to get behind puzzle games. Cause usually I just get frustrated and give up, but 
that one was one that I could get behind. Yeah, it sounds like basically the same thing where there's no real trick to it. It's just about observing the puzzle, thinking about what needs to go first. And like once you know the rules of the game, it's very straightforward, which is fun because they don't try to trick you. There's nothing, you know, they don't get any gotcha moments or anything. It's just about, you know, uh-huh. here's these puzzles we made. And once you know what the rules are, you can just go through these. And it feels very calming and, and rewarding to solve them. And I love just seeing those pieces disappear when you when you pull them out successfully because the screen starts out really like a cluttered mess and it's really weird. And then it just gets like cleaner and cleaner and cleaner and cleaner as you go. So I'm sure that says something about my internal psyche or something, but like seeing that mess slowly disappear and then finishing with a blank screen is so satisfying, dude. I'm like, Oh yes. Is it like Uh, the Marie Kondo of video games? Yes. This game is sparking joy within me, dude. I am, I am sparked. I dig, I dig this game. So hook is good. Pecross is also good. I love both of those things. Super, super recommend them. Um, Let me give you one more really quickie thing. And then uh, we're going to turn our view. I, I, I played a game called Omen of Sorrow. Um, I don't suppose you've ever heard of it, Corey. I haven't, but it sounds depressing just from the name. I know, right? Like, they're telling you telling you a lot just from that title. <laughs> um, I saw this a while ago at PAX, and I was so puzzled because I didn't know who it was from. I didn't know what it was about, and it looked like a fighting game. And it's pretty unusual to have a fighting game come out of nowhere. Like, there's a kind of a couple established companies who do fighting games, uh, and you, you know, they're all kind of like in this kind of similar genre, but this one seemed to come out of nowhere and I was really puzzled. It just looked weird. Um, it looked like, I don't want to say realistic looking characters, but you know, it kind of had like a, a 3d modeled look to it. That was kind of unusual, kind of a, I, I couldn't really peg what the style was. I wasn't sure if it was coming from a, a European developer or who, but apparently they're from South America. Uh, which is uh, a growing, growing bed of game design, but they have a very different sensibility down there and very different style. So I'm very interested to explore that some more. Uh, but this game is like, it takes a bunch of gothic ass, big titty, black leather wearing monsters <laughs> and puts them in a 2D fighting game, which is kind of low rent, but not super low rent. I mean, it's kind of a weird B title. And they, there's just like a traditional fighting game where you just pick a character and fight the other character. It's just like, you know, Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter or something. But there's also like a story mode, which is really lame and pathetic and dumb. It was really terrible. But I appreciated that they, they went to the trouble of putting in story mode. Uh, and it's just really strange. It is just a strange game because fighting has evolved so much and it's become such a niche thing where people are like frame counting and there's like all these cancels and reversals and like they're getting really complex. So I can appreciate somebody wanting to simplify it up a little bit. Uh, and this game is not nearly as complex as some of the more recent fighting games, which is good. I think it's a good thing. Uh, but, you know, I think I think character balance was kind of an obvious problem right off the bat. Uh, the tutorial for how to play the game wasn't great. Uh, but at the same time, it wasn't completely bad either. Like it just it's just weird. Like, it's just such a weird game. Like these guys are clearly not, I mean, I'm, I'm sure this is probably their very first fighting game. It's coming from a, a part of the world that we don't usually get games from the, the art design and the sensibility of it was really strange. The, the, uh, translation was kind of broken, but there was still something kind of good about it. It kind of reminded me of like dark stalkers from Capcom. Did you ever play dark stalkers? Corey, you familiar with dark stalkers? I didn't, but that's the, is that the Zelda like game? No, that is um, Dark Siders. Yeah, you're thinking of Dark oh, Siders. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Dark Stalkers was a 2D fighting game from Capcom that starred a bunch of monsters, where you could be like a vampire or a Frankenstein or a, a fishman. 
Um, it was hyper animated, and I loved it. It's one of my favorite fighting games of all time. Uh, it never it never really took off in America outside of a small cult following, but I thought it was a fantastic game. This reminds me of that, not because it's nearly as good as that, because Darkstalkers is just, I'm sorry, just straight up the better game, but because it had like a lot of weird characters. There's like a mummy, and there's a vampire, and there's a lady vampire, and then there's a lady that I don't even know what she is, but she's got like enormous boobs and some horns, and there's like a gargoyle <laughs> lady, and there's like a Quasimodo guy, and there's a weird... Uh, meaty Frankenstein dude and like, it's just the art style is so offbeat and bizarre like I kind of fell in love with it even though I don't like really enjoy playing the game that much <laughs> but I just kind of like that they're doing something different like they're just really striking out and trying to carve out a niche for themselves um, I don't imagine that there's anybody playing this online I don't even know if the online is any good I, I would not recommend it to people who are looking for like a fighting game community to get into with this game but if you want something that's just fucking weird and just unusual, <laughs> this game is mega unusual. Just so so strange and so bizarre, but in a kind of a good way. It's, it's kind of fascinating. Um, I'm kind of picking away at it. I, I finished the story mode in like an hour or something, and I was just like, oh, God, that was embarrassing. But at least they did it. And I'm going to I'm going to keep chewing away at it because there's a lot of characters I haven't tried yet. And I'm just kind of fascinated by their design and like how they implement the moves and stuff. It's just it's something just way out of left field in a genre that has become pretty predictable lately. So I'm not going to say it's great, but it's not terrible either. And if you're into something that's like a B tier game, that's just doing something. I mean, this game is like totally, you know, marching to the beat of its own drum for sure. I mean, check it out. If you can even find a copy of it, I don't, I don't imagine that it's easy to find, but Omen of Sorrow, I picked it up uh, through Gamefly. I think you can probably download it. Maybe um, check it out. If that, if anything I said, sounds good. This is what you were talking to on Twitter with our good friend Zach, Lyrical Vanity, right? And this seemed like incredibly like his shit, he said. Yeah, like weirdo, just like, you know, leather bustiers and huge boobs and monster women. And <laughs> another another person on Twitter said it looked like shit that they would draw on their three ring binder in high school after listening <laughs> to heavy metal. And I'm like, yeah, dude, this is totally this is totally that. Like if you like that kind of cheesy like emo gothy sort of but not really kind of vibe and i mean i'm not saying it's bad i'm just saying like it's its own thing you know like if you're down for that this is that so check it out like, youtube it or something and you'll be like oh shit this is weird so <laughs> all right but it's not um it's not like embarrassing or cringy like it's actually okay I mean, it is cringy and it is embarrassing, but it's also okay. It's just, it's just its own thing, you know? Like, I mean, I don't even know what to even compare it to, but sometimes you get in that mood where you're just like, I want something that's weird. And this is mega weird. And I just don't even know what to even say about it other than it's different and I like it because it's different, but I don't think that it's necessarily great. But I, I like what it's doing, but I don't really like what it's doing, but I think it's neat. So I don't know. I just... I don't know. Maybe I have a weakness for big titty gargoyle women, I guess. And I just like it for that reason, perhaps. But <laughs> Well, I feel like we run into the show, uh, this on the show often where like we play games. I mean, we even talked about this last week, I think, where we play games that, you know, I think it's more important perhaps to be mediocre and memorable than to be good and sort of like um, by the numbers. And this seems to fit that bill, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think just, just the fact that it's so unusual makes it noteworthy, even if it doesn't succeed at everything it tries. I mean, it certainly doesn't fail at everything. I mean, I think it's a respectable effort from, a, I mean, clearly a very small team in a place where they probably haven't made a lot of fighting games. So I think just for that alone, it's worth it's worth um, some praise. 
but yeah, it's just it's just fucking weird and offbeat and different and strange. And for and just for that reason alone, I think it's worth mentioning. So I, I do I do kind of like it, um, but I like that stuff to begin with. So I'm not going to recommend it for you know if somebody is really liking how tight the new Mortal Kombat is, or they really like the new mechanics in Soul Calibur or something. I'm not going to recommend this to them because this game. Omen of Sorrow cannot hold the sweaty jock straps of either one of those games when it comes to just fighting. <laughs> but if you are open to something that is way off the beaten path and just makes you scratch your head a little bit, like this is that game. And that's that's what I like once in a while. Well, I think you've inadvertently done an incredibly good job at selling this game right now, whether you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean... I hope people give it a shot, but like, please don't at me. Like if you buy this for full price and you're just mad afterwards, like I'm trying to, I'm trying to give you the sense that it's an interesting, weird thing. So if you're up for that, go for it, but don't, you know, don't come back and tell me like it was a terrible fighting game. Cause I kind of have told you 10 times. It's kind of a terrible fighting game, but it's, it's still worth looking at regardless. All right. Well, I probably will never play this, but I respect whatever the hell they're doing with it. YouTube it once and you'll get a good sense for what I was talking about. And you'll be like, uh, okay. All right. Enough of that shit. Corey, I am super, super, super excited. I am very curious uh, to hear about the next game because I know I will never play it in my entire life, but I do want to live vicariously through you, our horror maven of the podcast. Layers of Fear 2. I, memory serves, you liked Layers of Fear number one pretty well, didn't you? This is a true fact, yes. That's what I thought. So I, if you would give us a very brief synopsis of Layers of Fear 1, and then lead us into Layers of Fear 2. Also, this comes from a developer who I can't stand their name, Bloober Team. I <laughs> Bloober fucking hate Team. that name. I hate that name. <laughs> I feel embarrassed when I say it out loud, and I just don't think it's a cool name. I just, I mean, they're probably wonderful people. I'm, it's not a personal statement. I'm just saying that as a developer, why would you pick Bloober Team? But okay, anyway. Layers of Fear. Uh, Layers of Fear, Corey, uh, talk about Layers of Fear 1 and then talk about Layers of Fear 2. All right. So Layers of Fear 1 was, uh, it's a first, well, they're both, they both fall into this category. They're both a first person psychological horror, kind of like narrative games, you know, kind of in the vein of like Soma or um, the other game, Amnesia, that the Soma people do, uh, kind of similar to that. And the really notable thing about Layers of Fear 1 is that it was on... I remember playing it on the Xbox preview program, and I felt like... And that's sort of like Xbox's early access kind of deal. And I remember feeling like it was on Xbox's early access thing for like a million years. And But I remember when I played it on that, it was only like a 15-minute snippet at the very beginning of the game. Being super impressed with it because at the time, I think Layers of Fear 1 is like maybe two or three years old at this point. At the time, it was kind of hot on the heels of sort of like the PT phenomenon where like PT came out. And for those that aren't familiar, PT was Hideo Kojima and Guillermo del Toro's um, sort of like prequel demo thing that was leading them up to developing Silent Hills, which uh, got canceled and never happened. And PT very famously got pulled from the PlayStation Network for... No real reason other than Konami and Hideo Kojima are apparently in a huge fight and all this bullshit. So they pulled it from the store because it was like a prequel to a game that got canceled. So um, it, it kind of came off the heels of that where PT was like a first person horror game that was really claustrophobic. It took place in a very realistic house. And then I feel like after the success of PT, and I don't know if it's because of that or in spite of that or what have you, there's sort of slowly came this like barrage of games that were very similar to it that were kind of trying to do the same thing that it was doing 
And I would argue that Layers of Fear is probably the closest thing we got to PT that's actually a finished game because it is similar in the sense that it's a first-person um, narrative horror, psychological horror game. There's no combat. There's no... Um, that's one thing I really like about it because I, I don't mind combat in games and I don't mind enemies in games. What I do mind is games like Outlast, which you don't have any combat mechanics, but you spend the entire game just like hiding from stuff and then like stealthily sneaking around it and doing chase sequences. The outlier is Soma because I think Soma is absolutely magical and it kind of follows under that umbrella of like the hiding from stuff in a horror genre. But Soma has the story to really back up what it's doing. Um, and I like Layers of Fear 1 because there's no combat, there's no hiding from stuff, there's no chase sequences. It's basically just you kind of going through this old... You play as... Um, I think you play as the artist himself. He's an old artist. He's got like a... Um, his leg is injured, so I think he walks with a cane. That's just kind of kind of interesting as like a disability perspective in a game. And you're kind of under the impression as the game goes on that he is maybe has a lot of mental health issues. Maybe he's kind of insane or schizophrenic. And so as you progress through exploring the mansion that he lives in and kind of like going through his paintings and seeing his supplies, you go through this kind of like descent into madness scenario where like on the surface, it just looks like this kind of creaky, creepy old house. But as you play through the game, you know, things kind of come off the hinges and it's one of those games and pretty much every time I talk about it I describe it as you know the thing that I like that it does is it does a lot of weird like spatial awareness kind of psychological horror where you'll like walk down a hallway and then you'll get to a door at the end of the hallway you open the door and there'll be like a brick wall behind the door and you think oh well like well this is unexpected like what do I do now and then you turn around and the hallway you just walk down is like completely different like the hallway is different maybe it's a different room maybe there's like the paintings are like have blood splattered on them now or something like that. And the game does that a lot. And it is admittedly like kind of hokey and kind of silly, but I hadn't really played anything that executed it a lot or executed it well. So it really just kind of kept me on my toes as like, you never quite know what's around the next corner or even what's behind you whenever you turn around from the space you came from. And I really appreciated that about it. Um, so that kind of sums up Layers of Fear 1. Uh, any comments or questions before I talk about Layers of Fear 2? No, I mean, that sounds all fine. Uh, probably too scary for me. I, I remembered a lot of people liking it a lot, and I was kind of surprised that they were doing a Layers of Fear 2. I guess I just thought they were going to do something like similar but different, like something just not related. So I guess, I guess let us know what's going on, because the first thing was about a painter, and the only thing I know about Layers of Fear 2 is that it's about, like, filmmakers. And I'm like, well, it's going to be the same game. They're just doing, like, a different artistic <laughs> medium. Like, that sounds kind of lame. But, I mean, you're the one who played it. So tell us about it, Corey. Okay. So, and to note also, between the release of Layers of Fear 1 and Layers of Fear 2, um, Bloober Team did a game called Observer, which was a similar... Oh, that's right. That's yeah, right. they did Observer. Right. I forgot about that. I hated yeah. that. Yeah. So Observer, so you hated it. I thought it was okay. And it's an Observer is kind of similar in the sense that it's like a first-person kind of narrative, slightly horror game. Um, Observer is more narratively focused, and it's more of like an investigation because you play as 
a guy who is voiced horribly by Rutger Hauer, um, <laughs> who's kind of like, it's like this sci-fi game where it's first person and he's, he has to like, kind of like Ghost in the Shell-esque, sort of like jack into these dead people's minds and like explore their memories of these dead people to try to track down his son who had contacted him. It's, you know, really interesting premise. I thought it was okay. It wasn't as good as I wanted it to be because I was so hot on layers of fear that I was like, oh, wow, they're going to take all the layers of fear stuff and they're going to put it in this cool, like futuristic, like Blade Runner universe. And it didn't quite pan out, but I also, I think I was expecting Observer to be closer to layers of fear than it actually was. Whereas layers of fear is like a straight up, like linear narrative horror, psychological horror game. Uh, Observer is more of like an investigation. I mean, it's still scary, but it has a lot more downtime in its investigations and like a little bit more kind of puzzle solving and that kind of stuff. It's not just like straight up horror jump scare things. So they're kind of two different things and I expected them to be more similar than they were. And the fascinating thing is we get into Layers of Fear 2 is like, you know, Layers of Fear 1 kind of came out of nowhere, although it was on the Xbox preview program for a while. And then I feel like in the lead up to Observer, it like I feel like they took the success of Layers of Fear 1 and really used it to market observer because like observer had a little spot at e3 the year before it came out it was in some kind of like playstation indie reel or something and that's whenever i first realized it was a thing so like if it was on a big screen during a playstation conference at e3 like i mean that doesn't mean it's going to be like the biggest game in the universe but like you know layers of fear was never on that scale so i thought wow they're kind of really pushing this um and then it came out you know it was fine whatever i think it reviewed like good to mediocre and and then Layers of Fear, like, 2 came out of nowhere. Like, I was not... They didn't market it. I didn't see any ads about this. I didn't see any tweets about it. I didn't see anything about this game. So I was re I was pleasantly surprised whenever I figured out it was coming out because I liked the first one so much. I was really um, hot on the first one. But it was just really surprising to me because it totally came out of nowhere. And... Um, and you're right. So the first Layers of Fear is about a painter and it kind of explores this sort of like tortured artist, you know, creative genius descent into madness, which I think it did pretty well. And Layers of Fear 2 kind of takes the same concept, but it's your you play an actor and he's on he has booked a job that is filming on this kind of like um, like a boat, like a cruise ship, like an ocean liner. But it's like a, you know, like Titanic, think like Titanic, I guess. And so, you know, it takes, I kind of like this idea because it does sort of like a Silent Hill thing where it like takes a similar concept and then kind of takes different characters in a different, slightly different setting and kind of like makes it its own game. And so it kind of leads me to wonder like, if this is successful, what will Layers of Fear 3 be about? Like, are they going to do like a musical artist next? And then, it's you know, be YouTube, like, haunted yeah. YouTube. <laughs> that sounds stupid, but I actually think that could be pretty incredible. Um, but it's just, like, I kind of, it's a little cheesy. Like, the whole Layers of Fear thing is kind of cheesy, like, the brand as a whole. Because it's very jump scary, and it's kind of hokey. But I kind of like that they're just rolling with it, you know? They're, they've dug themselves in, and this is what they're doing. And, you know, it's their story, and they're sticking to it, if you will. Um, so I started Layers of Fear 2. I actually, full disclosure, I'm reviewing this for Game Critics. I'll talk about it now, and probably most of the review I write will largely be reflected in what I'm saying right now. Um, I have finished it. I'm not going to spoil the ending or anything, but I have played all of it. Um, the first Layers of Fear was pretty short. It was like two hours long, which I think was like chef's kiss length for what it was doing. Um, I have finished Layers of Fear 2. I played it in two sittings. It's a little bit longer. It's closer to three to four hours this time around. At least for me, it was. And... Um, you play an actor on an ocean liner and are on like a cruise ship and 
it's got a lot of the same stuff going on where you're kind of exploring the ship and you're kind of descending into madness. Although Layers of Fear 2 is less about the character going crazy and it's more about some... It's got, again, this kind of Silent Hill thing going on where, like, you can tell something happened in the actor's past and, like, the game will come to reveal that over time and you kind of figure out how that informs what he's doing now. But I'm very... It, it hurts me more than anybody to say that I did not like Layers of Fear 2 very much at all. Wow. So you were a fan of the first one like we just covered a second ago. What is different about this one? Why Why are you not hot on this one? What happened? I... Okay, so the first big thing that I don't like about the second one is that although it does not dive completely into outlast territory of having like monster chase sequences and hiding from monsters and stuff there are a significant number of chase sequences in layers of fear 2 that are completely absent from the first game and i do not like them at all i don't think chase sequences there's like this one monster that kind of materializes every once in a while and when you see him you have to like book your ass in the opposite direction and try to like figure out where to go to get away from this guy and if he catches up to you or if you stand or if, you know, he, he gets you or whatever, then it you get a game over and you have to reload the checkpoint. The good news is that the game is very good about checkpoints. It checkpoints very um, often. And it does the thing where it checkpoints like right before a chase sequence is supposed to happen. So as I was playing it, anytime I saw the little autosave icon pop up in the corner of the screen, I was like, oh, fuck, there's going to be a chase sequence. It's going to happen. And it doesn't always happen, but it just kind of got me on edge for it. And I don't mean in a good on edge way because... The chase sequences in this game are terrible. Like, basically, I... Like, for, okay, I want to talk about the controls for a second because this really feeds into it. So I'm playing it on PC, mouse and keyboard, and I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, that uh, the PlayStation 4 version, because I played Layers of Fear 1, had the same kind of control setup. So when you walk up to a door, there's a lot of door opening in the game because you walk through a lot of doors, and you don't... Whenever you walk up to the door, in most games, you press one button and the character opens the door, and that's it. The door swings open, and that's it. And Layers of Fear 2, you walk up to the door. Whenever you get in range of the door, an icon appears over the handle of the door. And whenever the icon appears, you can click your mouse, and then you have to use the mouse to push the door open. Like, you can open it a tiny bit, or you can open it a lot. And I do not like this mechanic at all, especially with a mouse and keyboard, because I end up, every time I'm walking through a door, I have my mouse, and I have limited space on my computer desk to move my mouse. I end up, like, shoving my mouse forward to open the door, and then I have to lift it off the desk and move it back down to the end of the desk, and then continue to move it forward in order to, like, fully open the door or to continue to walk. Cause after I open the door, the mouse is so high up on my desk that it's, it's too close to my monitor to use. So I keep having to pick the mouse up and then pull it back down to the end of the, to the end of the desk, which sounds, sounds completely fucking annoying. I mean, it's, it's on one hand, it feels like a really stupid complaint, but on the other hand, it fucking bothered me for the entire game. And it's especially egregious in chase sequences because not only are you running from this monster, but you have to open a lot of doors to get around him. 
and you don't just run up to the door and press a button to open it. There's no auto open door button. You have to run up to the door, hold the open door button, and then frantically swing the mouse in order to open the door all the way and then run through it. And meanwhile, he is catching up with you every second that you're spending opening the stupid fucking doors with the stupid controls. And there were so many, like there's one section in particular where he's chasing you and you have to go into a room that has sort of like one of those like twisty door handles like on a ship that kind of like um, airtight locks the door. And whenever you have to go through the door and then shut the door behind you in order to keep him from coming in. And I swear to God, I died like three or four times in that sequence because I ran through the door, I turned around, and because you have to like manually close the door every centimeter of the way, I could not close the door fast enough to keep him from coming through the door because even if the door was cracked, the monster would be able to come through the door, it would insta-kill me, and then I would checkpoint back to the beginning of, the, of that section and then, like, on top of that, in this one section, the same room, if you stay in the room too long, there's, like, these, like, steam valves that start kind of, like, exploding or going off a little bit in the room. So you get in the room, you seal the door so that he can't come in there and kill you, and then the room starts attacking you because it has these steam vents that are going off. And I, at this point, am like, well, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Do I... I, obviously, if I stay in this room, I'm going to die. If I open the door, the monster is going to be out there and I'm going to die. But it turns out you have to reopen the door and leave because, like, the monster goes away after you shut the door. But the game does not communicate that to you. So I died, like, four times in this room because I kept thinking I had to wait in the room until, like, the game gave me the okay to exit because the monster was gone. But meanwhile, the room is actively trying to kill you while you're in it. So it's just, like... I mean, this is one small facet of the game is like these dumb chase sequences that pop up and every, I don't think I survived a chase sequence on the first try ever in this game. I always died at least one, sometimes five or six times uh, in them. Sucks. And it's just like, it's something that is totally unnecessary and I don't like it at all. So, I mean, that's one thing about the game that I don't like is that I think these chase sequences totally unnecessary. They demand a little too much for the player. They also don't, um... They don't, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, um, to telegraph. They don't telegraph themselves well all the time. So basically, anytime I was walking down a hallway, if, like, something remotely scary happened or if, like, a loud noise happens, and this is, this is a totally, like, in-the-trenches jump scare game. So, like, you know, shit's, like, flying off the walls all the time or, like, a door will, like, fly open when you're walking by it because it does a lot of that stuff, which, like, I'm okay with. But every single time something like that happened, I would immediately think that a chase sequence was about to happen because the game doesn't telegraph them very well. And I would immediately start, like, running through the hallway even if a chase sequence wasn't happening. And in my opinion... A horror game is at its finest whenever, and I've probably said this a million times on the show before, a, hor a horror game is at its finest whenever you are so scared to move forward that you want to creep along as slow as possible because whatever is down that hallway or whatever's on that other side of the door, you, you don't want to know what's down there and you want to creep along. But I found myself, because I was worried that a chase sequence was going to be happening in this game, running all the time in this game and like you don't like the last thing you want to be doing in a horror game is like busting your ass to run through it because it's lost all all like grip of fear on you and if they had taken out the chase sequences i think this game would have been like a million times better because i could have just kind of 
gone through the game at my leisure and really kind of explored the way I did in the first one and kind of taken things one step at a time. But because the chase sequences are there and also they're awful, I was always worried they were going to happen. So I ended up basically running through like the entire second half of the game. And it just feels running through a first person horror game just feels fucking ridiculous to begin with. But it's just like the way the game sets itself up made it impossible for me to want to do anything else and then as I got further in the game and I'm not going to spoil the ending or anything but like the the intrigue of the first game which is this cool like slow descent into madness because you're this tortured artist and your house is gross and wooden and there's like paint everywhere like that whole kind of weirdly like narrative investigative nature is not implemented very well into the second game and the story, like, I never knew what was going on in the story because you play a silent protagonist, you also play a silent protagonist in the first game. But Layers of Fear 2 has, like, multiple, like, narrators in the game. And sometimes there's, like, this deep kind of demonic voice that's, like, kind of, like, I don't know if it's supposed to be, like, your psyche kind of, like, speaking to you about, like, oh, this is, like, oh, bad stuff. And, like, and speaking to you. And then there's, like items you pick up in the environment and whenever you pick them up you hear voices from what i think is your childhood that are like kind of memories that are playing in almost an audio log fashion but there's two voices in the audio logs a young man and a young woman and i couldn't tell if i was supposed to be one of those people if i was supposed to be the girl or the boy if they were my kids if they were childhood friends because the game doesn't really contextualize your relationship with those people or if you are one of the people so i wasn't even when the game was over i still didn't fully understand was i one of those kids were they my kids were i i didn't know what was going on because the story i mean what little there is is not really that well done and there's too many voices going on and it doesn't really like tell you who you're supposed to identify with as you're playing and like last but not least in the first game, there was obviously a lot of, like, painting references because you played a painter. So there were these weird, like, disfigured paintings all over the walls. You know, you would go in rooms and they would be, like, instead of, like, blood splatters on the wall, there would be all of these paints everywhere. And it sounds cheesy and it kind of is, but it actually worked really well. Like, in some rooms, it kind of looked like the room was a painting and it was sort of, like, melting around you. And it had a really cool aesthetic in that regard. And in the second game, you're an actor... And, like, there's not really a lot of, like, acting stuff going on. Like, they kind of have this theme where um, if you think about, like, like artists, like, whenever you're doing, like, a 3D drawing class, those sort of, like, little wooden figures, those human figures that you pose, that you draw to learn, like, animation, like, those pop up a lot, but they're kind of, like, full body size, like, almost like mannequins, but not quite like mannequins, and there's, like, a theme of those in the game, but I'm not really sure how those relate to acting, because that's, like, a... like a a drawing sort of thing. Yeah, it's, like, a 3D artist thing, and so I wasn't sure, like what those had anything to do with acting, like if it was like a staging theater thing or something. And like every once in a while you're in a scene where like it'll look like you're on a stage or you're on like a stage play or something. Like you'll be on a ship and there's supposed to be water around you, but like the water is obviously like cardboard pieces that have been painted and they're just kind of like wafting back and forth, which is kind of a cool effect. But like the game's setting is a cruise ship and there's a lot of the game that sort of like is not the cruise ship like you're kind of like 
I don't know if you're running through the characters' memories or if you're, you're like, on these different stages or you're in, like, your childhood home or, like, I could never really figure out, like, they choose, <coughs> excuse me, like, acting as the medium, but, like, there's not enough going on in the game to really reflect the fact that it's, like, an actor's tortured genius or whatever, and I just couldn't really fully get that and like the ocean liner thing is a cool setting but it deviates from the fact that it's like this titanic-esque ship so often that it never really felt grounded in that because like in the first game you're almost always like in this mansion like kind of doing um like exploring this old guy's mansion and it doesn't really take you out of it that much so it's really grounded in what's going on but like in the second one you start on the ocean liner and then you're like somewhere else and you're somewhere else and you're somewhere else and then you're back in the ship and then you're somewhere else and i couldn't really figure out like why it was deviating so much and it didn't really keep itself together very well in that regard and also a lot of the game is in black and white and i couldn't tell like i'm fine with that like i don't have anything against like, a game being in black and white but like it starts in color and then it's like black and white for long stretches of the game and i couldn't tell like if the black and white was supposed to represent like a different time period or like and, and it just it kind of flabbergasted me because like a lot probably about half the game is in black and white and i i mean i think it's going for sort of like an old film effect of like a projector thing but that wasn't really enough to even ground it into like the acting situation for me so i couldn't really tell what was doing with the black and white versus the color stuff and like, I really wanted to root for this game. Obviously, I championed the first game, and I loved it, and I thought Observer was fine. But I just, like, was really disappointed with Layers of Fear 2. To, like, full disclosure, if I had not been reviewing this game for Game Critics, I would not have finished it. Like, I died several times on a chase sequence that was about 40 or 50% into the game, and I thought long and hard about just quitting and writing, like, either a, this is not a review or writing review and saying, hey, this is my review, but I did not finish this game because it's too hard and it's too frustrating and I don't really think that the chase sequences serve the story, what little of a story there is. So, I mean, I, I wanted to like this game and I'm sorry that I have to come to the show and, like, say all this, like, all these, like, mean, like, critical things about it, but I it just feels like they were on to such a good thing with the first one and it almost feels like in this one they just, like, rushed it out or even that they like outsourced it to a different team or just like something where it just doesn't have like sort of like the heart and soul and I mean the first game doesn't have like all the heart in the world like but you can tell that it was kind of a labor of love and this one doesn't really feel like that it just kind of feels like it's going through the motions it feels like a sophomore slump it just doesn't feel like it's really serving anything or anyone other than just putting another game out there in the same universe. And I, it just makes me worry about them. And I want, like, I want the studio to succeed. I like two out of their three games. I love one of them. I like the other one. And then the third one is a total dud. So I, I wish them the best and I hope that they continue to do what they're doing, but maybe not in the layers of your universe, maybe make observer two. I don't know. But it, it pains me more than anyone to come to the show and say that this game is a dud for me because I really wanted to like it. But unfortunately, I just, I finished it, but I just cannot get on board with it. Well, disappointing to hear. I mean, I am not really a customer for these guys to begin with, but I know that you were definitely a fan of their work more so than me. So it's always, it's always a bummer to see a piece of work from someone that you have previously really enjoyed and then all of a sudden it's just like they just lost the rhythm and 
and something has gone wrong somewhere. Maybe a key person left or maybe they just didn't have the right concept or something. But it's always sad to see when people you like kind of trip up and uh, don't don't zig when you want them to zag or something. So that's too bad. <laughs> that's too bad. I look forward to your full written review, sir, and we will see. I don't expect that uh, the final thing will have anything better to say than what you've already said here. So I guess people who listen to the show have a leg up on people who only read the site <laughs> since they will get the lowdown. Uh, but uh, thank you for sharing that perspective. I was never going to play this game, but now I am double never going to play this game. So. <laughs> uh, let me switch gears a little bit. In a strange twist of fate, I know that I started this show out with two games that I thought were crap, uh, but the rest of them are all like really fucking good. So I, I gave you two, I think, that were really good so far, Hook and Picross. I'm going to give you another one that I think is fantastic, a wonderful game. Uh, it is called, God, I keep getting the name wrong. I apologize. It's Thronebreaker. I think I've called it something breaker, like like 25 different things that are breakers. But no, no, no. It's, it is Thronebreaker. Uh, I think it confuses me because the title screen shows a shield and the shield is being broken. So I most often call it Shield Breaker, but it's literally called Throne Breaker. So I don't know why they're not showing you a throne that's being broken. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Point being, this is called Throne Breaker The Witcher Tales. It is, of course, from CD Projekt Red. It is set in the Witcher universe. It does not star everyone's favorite Witcher, Geralt of Rivia. Uh, my personal favorite Witcher out of all the Witchers. Uh, no, no, no. It is in the same world. But this stars a brand new character. Her name is Meeve, and she is the queen of one of the lands of the Witcher world. And she is fighting back against some of the dudes that Geralt fought in his game. Not only the monsters, but also like this other military force. Uh, so she's kind of like having this adventure in her own kingdom. Uh, but this is a radically different game than The Witcher because people who played The Witcher 3 might remember that it also had a like mini game called Gwent, which was card based. And a lot of the quests in The Witcher, like that was a 3D third person, you know, RPG, real world, real time. But there was this Gwent game that you could play within The Witcher 3 where you collected cards. A lot of the quests had you collecting cards or you're fighting people for cards, etc., etc. And you could just spend a lot of time playing Gwent, where it was like two people sitting down at a table and you, you laid down some cards. Uh, it had its own very special kind of rule set. It was not like anything else that I had played previously. It had a very unique way of playing. I didn't get into it in Witcher 3 because, per, to be perfectly honest with you, that game is long. I mean, and I love it. I, one of my favorite games of all time, bar none. I think that is one of the best games ever made, full stop, period. Like, I have nothing but love for The Witcher 3. But it is a long game, and for me to get through that game, it took me like 120 or 140 hours. I loved every minute of it, but I totally ignored the Gwent because it was just going to add another 100 hours to my playtime, and I didn't want that. So this game, Thronebreaker, I almost called it Shieldbreaker, but it is Thronebreaker, <laughs> is all about that same thing. It's about Gwent. So you have the character of Meeve. You're walking around a map. It's kind of uh, stylized where it's like a... It almost looks like a hand-drawn map that you're walking around, and she's just like a little icon kind of walking around on the map from town to town, place to place. You'll meet people, talk to them. They'll tell you, like, something, or they'll have a little mini quest for you or something. But whenever you get to, like, a battle or a monster or something, it goes into the Gwent card-based game interface. So all the battles, all the challenges, all of the things that you have to actively do in this game are played through cards. 
So uh, they give you a deck to begin with, and you can fiddle with that a little bit. You can change the cards up and stuff. But I came into this game basically knowing nothing about Gwent. Um, when you play The Witcher 3, you have to do one Gwent match as a tutorial, and I think that's all they make you do. So you can play five minutes of Gwent out of 140 hours, and you just walk away from Gwent. You don't need to do anything else. Uh, that was me. I played one match of Gwent, and then I was done. I didn't want to do any else. So I didn't know the rules, but the game does an okay job of like getting up to speed here. I think it definitely helps if you have a Gwent background. But I, I plowed ahead anyway. And I gotta say, this game is fucking great, dude. Because <laughs> number one, those guys at CD Projekt Red can write. Those guys know what makes a good character. They know what makes a good story. Within five minutes, I'm like, oh god, I love this chick. She's the best. She's so awesome. Uh, and just to be clear, she's like in full battle armor. She's a sword. She does. She takes zero shit from anybody. And like, you better not fuck with her because she will like cut your goddamn head off and hand it to you <laughs> on a plate. Uh, so she's badass, and but she's also got a good heart. Uh, and there's no like you know fantasy titty action. Like she's like she's all business. This is business. She is the queen, and she's not anybody's eye candy. So I love I love her as a character. I think she's great. Her supporting cast are really good too. I mean, those guys can write. And so everything, just like The Witcher, I wanted every piece of dialogue. I'm like, I want to hear it all. I want to talk to everybody. I want everything because this is all really good. Um, and beyond that, you do very few straight up Gwent battles because what happens is they very often take the Gwent cards, but then they will give you a specific challenge. Like they'll give you like a set, like four or five or six cards. You don't get to choose those. They give those to you. And they say, here's a monster that you have to beat. You got to beat him in like three turns or something. And so it, a lot of these puzzles are battles end up being puzzles where you just need to understand what the cards do and in what order to play them. And some of them are pretty challenging because you have to have a pretty thorough understanding of the rules. Um, I'm a little bit weak there, so I've struggled on some of it. But like in general, I appreciate that they are just not making you do battle after battle after battle after battle. I, like a lot of these puzzles are really cool. Like sometimes you have to win within a certain number of rounds. Sometimes you have to prevent one of your cards from being destroyed. Sometimes you have to destroy one of their cards. Sometimes you have to last a certain number of rounds. Like there's all these different qualifications for each match, which keeps it fresh, keeps it interesting. I do not feel like I'm doing the same thing over and over and over. I feel like there's been lots of opportunities to learn the cards. Um, I will say I did have to ask for help a couple times because I just didn't know the game that well. So I think that people like me coming into it as basically a clean slate will have a little bit more of a learning curve. But once you get over that learning curve, um, I mean, the game is just great. It looks great. The art style is great. The voices are fucking awesome. Music's great. Writing is great. I mean, I just, I'm just enjoying every minute of playing this game, uh, despite the fact that I just didn't give a shit about Gwent in The Witcher 3. I love this. I love going back to Geralt's world. I'm hoping that he makes a cameo. He has not made a cameo yet. I'm, I'm hoping that he'll pop up for just a minute. I would love to see his face and his voice uh, just for a few seconds. Uh, but so far, I love Meeve, the new character, and I love being back in the Witcher world. And I just, I think everything about this game is just top-notch, and I totally recommend it to anybody who is not allergic to a card-based game. And if you love the Witcher and you want more of the Witcher, this is legit more of the Witcher. Like, this feels like a different play experience, but in terms of theme and content, this feels just like more of the Witcher, and I'm always up for more of the Witcher. That was a great experience. And I'm, I'm very happy to be back in it. I, I have nothing bad to say about this game at all. I think it's fantastic. So after, <clears throat> after the Witcher three came out, they released Gwent as its own, like standalone game, right? They did. Correct. So like, what are the big 
differences between that and this. Like in this one, you actually like have a world that you explore, and in the Gwent only game, it was just the card layout, and that's it. I mean, I didn't dip into the Gwent thing, but from what I understand, it was basically just like a, an online way to play Gwent with other people. And, you know, it was kind of like Magic the Gathering where you're just playing matches against other people. Or I guess you could play the AI as well. But, like, you know, collect cards, make your deck, do competitive play against other people. Because, I mean, it's kind of a cool game. Like, it doesn't play like Magic. It doesn't play like any other card game I've played. So it's interesting from that perspective. Um, but I just didn't want to play that. <laughs> it just didn't hold my attention. And I think the thing that made the difference for me is that, like, Meeve is, like, a full character. She's got, like, a scenario going on. She's got to protect her kingdom from these invaders and kill these monsters. And so there's stuff that you're doing and there's quests and there's people and you're back in the world and you're getting like a lot of the flavor of the world. It feels like you are on your own quest much the way that Geralt was. And I thought that was great. And this is what CD Projekt Red does really well. So having that extra context of story and character and also having a predetermined deck along with these specific challenges keeps it really fresh. And it kind of takes a lot of the burden off of me because I'm not somebody who will very often dive really really deep into a hardcore card based game like i like them they're okay but i'm not i'm not going to just get into it i'm not going to spend 100 hours on a card based game like that i like it when it's couched in a different format and getting little puzzle challenges and a deck that's pre-made and these fights that they know exactly what cards i have and so the fights are geared towards you know like like it's almost impossible at this point in the game for me to fuck up my deck so bad that i can't win they really stack it in your favor because they want you to get through the campaign, which is great. That's what I want. That's exactly what I want. So that's the difference for me, and that's what makes that's what makes Thronebreaker something that I'm really interested and active in, as opposed to the Gwent game, which I did play a couple times, and I'm like, meh, I just don't I just don't want to play the game for the game's sake. You know, I need a little bit more than that. Whenever you started talking about this, I was I, I gotta be honest, I was kind of thinking that it sounded a little bit silly for me, like you have like kind of The Witcher as a game and then you but it's mostly based in sort of like a mini game like Thronebreaker is mostly based on like a mini game that's in the original game but then as you were talking I was thinking about this and I was thinking like what could I apply this to for a game that I love so that I could try to like build some context for myself on this and then I thought okay if something like this came out but it was like deus ex human revolution and you got to like re-explore the world and be re-injected into it and get the flavor of the world but most of the game like the challenge of the game is just like the hacking mini game and that's it that would be like more than enough to get me back into something like that so like i started off skeptical about what you were talking about but then i thought about like hmm if this were like kind of re- appropriated for like a game I love like Deus Ex I would totally be able to get behind it so despite never being into The Witcher and never planning to be um I definitely understand your enthusiasm now for this yeah I mean a couple of other games have tried this in the past I mean the one that leaps out at me is probably Metal Gear Acid which was on the PSP or the Vita I can't remember which probably PSP where it took like the world and concepts of Metal Gear back before I got sick of it and before Kojima went off the rails <laughs> And they put it, they matched it with a card game. And it was just so cool to get like that same world, those same elements, the same characters, but in a different context. And it was like legit, like the stuff that you like, but in a totally different way. And so getting more of that is great. And I love The Witcher, like hardcore. I have nothing but love for The Witcher. And so to be able to go back to that world, like I don't want them to do more Witcher because that story is done. And I respect that. They're moving on to do like Cyberpunk 2044 or whatever it's called. And I'm looking forward to that for sure. But like, just get, it's, it's, it's just like you, 
Like you read this whole series of your favorite books and you think you're done. And then all of a sudden you're going through your stack and you're like, oh my God, there's one more book that I never read. And it's like, oh shit, there's like this whole other thing <laughs> that's legit. Like finding, you know, like there's a hidden episode of some show. Or like I remember one time um, back in the day when I was buying music on CD, I think I bought a, oh my God, who was it? I mean, it must have been like Living Color or something. Like one of my like bands that I really liked back in the day. And I remember listening to the CD getting the whole I've listened to I listened to it like 10 or 15 times and then I had it playing in the house and I was going to go to the kitchen I think I had something on the stove right and so I left the CD in I went to go like whatever take pasta off the stove and after three or four minutes of dead silence had gone by there was like a brand new song that was at the very end of the CD that I didn't even know was there and it was hidden it wasn't listed and I'm like holy shit there's a whole other song on the CD oh my god so like that feeling of discovering like this extra extra more of something that you love that you didn't know was there is great. And I, it doesn't happen all the time. And sometimes when it happens, it's embarrassing and awful, but this is great. <laughs> I mean, getting to go back into the Witcher's world one more time is fantastic. And if Geralt shows up for even five seconds, I'll be fucking thrilled. That would be amazing. <laughs> but so, I mean, this game is super fun. I love the way it's designed. It's really smart. It's really well done. It's polished. It's great. I mean, CD project red, uh, I wasn't a fan of their earlier work, but they really came into their own with Witcher 3, and they are continuing that hot streak. This game is the shit. It's really, really good. So nothing but love for Thronebreaker, The Witcher Tales. I'm playing on PS4. I think it's on I think it's on Xbox One. I think it's also on PC. It's not on Switch. All right. Well, I'm glad that you're enjoying it. I love it. Let's go to a new game. I actually pulled a fast one on you, Corey, because I was reading the script wrong and I jumped ahead. We should have talked about this game earlier. I apologize if I threw you for a moment there. I'm, I'm uh, flexible, Brad. That's fine. Okay. I, mean, I, I appreciate how well you segued right into that. Didn't even blink. <laughs> I didn't even realize I brought up the wrong game until we were halfway through it. And I'm like, oh, my bad. But okay, whatever. Uh, let's get back to the game we should have talked about first. It's called Back in 1995. This just released a week or two ago from Rattalika Games, who are a very weird publisher. They're trying to build a brand for themselves. They put out a lot of indie offbeat stuff. I don't know if I really like their selections. I think I almost do, but I think there's like at least one big thing wrong with every game they've ever put out. And so <laughs> I just, I haven't been able to really fully embrace them yet, but I am interested in their selections. I don't know anything about this other than the fact that it's brand new, Corey. So please tell us all about Back in 1995. I would love to. So for the longest time, I have been, probably haven't said it in a while, but I have in the past harped on about how, you know, uh, classic Resident Evil or classic survival horror games that were like Resident Evil 1, 2, 3, and Code Veronica, and Silent Hill 1, 2, 3, and 4, you know, they are of a certain era where it's third person, mostly kind of fixed camera, um, tank controls, you know, for better or for worse, all of these things, and how for the longest time there has not been a game that has really gone back to that. Um, to my chagrin, I might add, because that's a sort of classic genre of games that I wish that other developers would, like, kind of get on. You know, it's almost like whenever Hotline Miami came out and you were talking about Hong Kong Massacre earlier, like, there was kind of, like, this explosion of, like, top-down, sort of, like, almost, like, twin-stick shootery games and I kind of wish that, like, a game like a classic Resident Evil would come out and then kind of, like, set off this, um, you know, like, spark of games that are made in this vein where they're, like, classic horror, they are 
third person, you know, maybe fixed camera, maybe tank controls. And I think my, my, my prayers have maybe been answered, or I thought they were whenever I downloaded this, because this game is called Back in 1995. It is out on PS4, Xbox One, and Switch about a week ago, and I was looking up the release date for it earlier, and, uh, and I was shocked, as I always am when this happens, to learn that this actually came out on PC in 2016. So this is kind of an... Oh, I mean, wow. I didn't yeah, realize that. I didn't know that either. So, I mean, I wouldn't dare call it an old game, but it's not new. And this, oh, like, this happens often where a game will be out on PC for a few years and then it'll finally come to consoles. But I thought this game was just like brand new, but apparently it's not. So this is a... This game is called Back in 1995. It is a third-person... Um, survival horror game very much built in the vein of like Resident Evil 1 and Silent Hill 1 and it is uh, third person it is mostly fixed camera although sometimes like the camera will be in one place and it'll kind of pan with you as you're walking it is not done with new like high intense graphics it looks like an old game like that's its charm that's its whole thing is it's like we are making a game that plays like an old-school survival horror game, and it looks like an old-school survival horror game, and it has a lot of the same feeling of an old-school survival horror game. And whenever I downloaded it, I was like, hell yeah, I've been waiting years for a game like this, and I was so excited to play it. So it kind of, the story you play as a guy who wakes up in this sort of like, it's kind of like a like an office building that looks like the room he's in has sort of been like repurposed as a hospital room. And there's a guy, an old guy in the room with him, and he's kind of trying to talk him, uh, you know, talk to him like, oh, you blacked out, you know, what's going on? And you exit the room and you kind of find out that some kind of like cataclysm has happened in the city. And there are a few skyscrapers that have been connected to each other via zip lines. And so <laughs> it sounds ridiculous. Sounds ridiculous. And I, it, I it did not see that coming. <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> no way was I going to predict zip lines. You got me on that one. Dude. Well, the good news is that that's not like the hook of the game. You're not like zip lining your ass off back and forth to all these buildings. It's basically a good excuse for you to like explore one building, unlock a certain thing, and then quote unquote zip line to the next building. It doesn't like show you. You don't like play the zip lining sequence. It just oh, like, it doesn't show you. Zip, does it show you a little picture of you zip lining? I don't think so. I've only done one zip line. I don't think it does. I think it just the uh. screen blacks out and you're in. I mean, we're we're trying to stick with the 1995 vibes here, so I don't think they have the technology Lame. to. I want to, to see the zip lining. <laughs> you were selling me so hard on this. I was like, yeah, zip line. I'm in. I'm, oh, I know. Fuck, I probably should have. I should not have um, fired off so quickly about that. But it's just a convenient oh, way for you to like. You're basically in one building, you do some stuff. You go to the next building, you do some stuff. You go to the next building, you do some stuff. I think there are four... Um, I think there are four buildings, if I'm not mistaken, but I have not beat the game, so I want to make that clear. I've only played it for about an hour and a half or so. Um, but it feels very similar to an old game. Like, it's kind of successfully done. Like, it has tank controls. They, the gra I would argue that the graphics maybe even look... Not worse, because they're not done bad, but I would say that it, they look even more dated than, than like, a PlayStation 1 Resident Evil game. Like, it almost looks like Super Nintendo like N64? era. N64? Yeah, maybe N64. Um, and it's not bad. It's just the way that it was done. Um, and I, that's not that's neither, like, a complaint nor a compliment, I guess. It's just an observation. I kind of wish that it looked a little bit better. Like, maybe... Maybe like Resident Evil 2 or Code Veronica, but you know, I mean, whatever. It's it, I respect what they're doing with the game. Um, and uh, 
And so you you have a melee weapon. You get a wrench early in the game, and you have, um, you know, the square button makes you swing the wrench. Eventually, you get a pistol, and you have to hold R1 to aim the pistol and press square to shoot the pistol. Very similar to old-school Resident Evil um, controls, and I like that. And the monsters, something that I like early on about the game is that the first monsters, there is combat, obviously. The first monsters you encounter in the game kind of look like... Um, uh, sort of like like kind of like a, a human heart but like with wings <laughs> oh, like like little chicken wings on the sides it's very strange you were just surprising me time after time with this game i am i am <laughs> in no way predicting what you're saying right now i yeah, never would it's it's weird but it's good weird and so you have these kind of like hovering like human heart looking things kind of like floating around with these little like wings on the sides and they'll like um They'll, like, hit you, but something that I kind of like early on is that the game controls very slowly, and, and by that I mean when you press up to move forward, the character walks pretty slowly. When you turn him in the tank-style controls, um, he turns very slowly. This is not, like, a fast action game by any means, and something that I like is that the the first enemies in the games, they, they swing pretty slowly, so it's not hard to dodge them, and there's no dodge button, but it's not hard to walk around them, and it's not hard to get out of the way before they strike. They make this kind of, like, weird kind of shrieky noise before they attack, so, it, you know, they kind of, like, float up to you, they make this shrieky noise, and then they kind of, like, slowly, like, bring their arm chicken wing thing back and then, like, try to hit you. And you can sustain about five hits before you die, so it's not, like, a one-hit kill thing, which is good. And you have health potions that you can drink you know to revive your health very all in line with old school stuff so i was like pretty uh on board with this for a while i had beaten the first office area i ziplined to the second building and then i got to a point in the second building where i kind of got to like a boss fight area and luckily the kind of the game kind of did a clever thing where like they give you a shotgun and then the boss kind of like spawns in the room so like you kind of are equipped for it um something that i don't like about um, the aiming is that the aiming, the first thing that I don't like is that whenever you press the, hold the R1 to aim your gun, you cannot turn once you have aimed the gun, which I think is horse shit. Like you have to turn your body and then hold R1 to aim. And then once you're holding the R1 button, you cannot move at all. You just, that's the direction you're aiming. And then you shoot in that direction. So if you, um, so if, like, you, an enemy is approaching you and you turn and you aim toward it, if it moves out of the way, you have to lower the gun, turn your body, re-aim the gun, and then hope that it has not moved out of that line of fire. Um, so that's something that's a little bit annoying because even, I'm pretty sure, in, like, the original Resident Evil, if you were aiming your gun, you could at least turn while you were aiming. You couldn't walk, but you could turn side to side. Um, and, uh, and... You get to, I got to a point in the game where there are a couple of other enemy types that get unlocked. And there's this one that looks, I don't even know how, I'm not even going to try to describe it. It's like two legs with like this organ looking thing between them. I don't, I don't even know, man. It's very Silent Hill-esque in its monster design, which I like. And they move a little bit faster. So like that kind of initial 
like ease of the first enemies like being slow is kind of washed away a little bit and they're not so fast they're like super lethal and you know will kill you in one hit but it was a little alarming like the second time i encountered when i died and i got a little bit frustrated because the game does the same thing that old resident evils did where there are computers around the world and you have save points at the computers and there's no checkpoints there's no there's nothing like that so if you die you have to reload your original save from whatever the last computer you stopped off at was which again is in tune with old games but I reached kind of a breaking point at a certain point with it where I got to a level where there was a third, I think it was the third or fourth enemy type where it's kind of like, if you imagine, here we go again, if you imagine sort of like a cockroach, but like standing on its hind legs, but kind of like <laughs> a little bit bigger, like bigger, like maybe like knee high. Um, I got to a point where that was... Um, those were kind of attacking me and there are like three of them in a room and I can't find a way to aim fast enough to shoot them. And I can't like swing. He swings the wrench very slowly when he does his melee attack and he won't even like swing the wrench fast enough to attack them well. And like by the time, even if you are attacking one, by the time you're attacking one, like kind of another one has come up on your side and is attacking you and you have to like, turn to your side and then swing again and so it kind of you get kind of um bombarded very quickly and the movement is so slow in the game there's not even a run button like all you can do is walk there's not a quick turn button which i also think is horse shit because resident evils usually have a quick turn button like a 180 button this does not have that um so I just wish that the game were... I understand that it's supposed to be emulating old-school Resident Evil and that whole thing, but I think that they could take a couple of tiny steps in making it a little bit more user-friendly. Like, I'm not asking for it to hand me a, a machine gun with unlimited ammo, but I would like maybe the game to auto-aim or have an option to auto-aim whenever you press R1 um, and be consistent in its auto-aiming. I would like maybe a crouch button so that it's easier for you to attack things that are below you. I would like a run button so that you could actually like jog away from the enemies whenever they start to bombard you. Um, and there are some paths in the game where the path is pretty narrow. And if you have like a large enemy in front of you, you can't really like run around it. It can kind of end up like blocking you in and killing you, which I don't think is very cool. So, I mean, just kind of, like, those things compounding on each other, like, the, like, exceptionally slow movement, the kind of bad aiming, the really slow wrench attack, the lack of a jog button. Um, I just think that those are a few things that they could have implemented to make the game a little bit more user-friendly. I mean, I know I've said it, like, 15 times already. I understand they're going for the old-school thing. And I respect that, but I just wish that there were a few slight accommodations to gameplay. So, like, I liked what was happening for a while, and then, like, I got to this room where there are these three, like, cockroach-type enemies that basically kind of bombard me whenever I go in, and I can't really, like, aim and maneuver fast enough to kill them. And I kind of am just, like, not really planning on going back to this game and playing it anymore because I don't like... I think the enemy types are sometimes too fast for me, and I don't think the game... And it's not really, like, a get-good thing, in my opinion. It's kind of like a the game is giving me enemies that are slightly too hard for what I think the character can deal with effectively, um, given the limited range of movements and the slow aiming. Um, and I'm just not super down with that. So, I mean, unfortunately, I doubt they're going to, like, 
make any accessibility patches on it anytime soon because the game has already been out for years and it just came to consoles. But I mean, who knows? Maybe if people review it a lot and kind of echo these sentiments, and I'm not reviewing this, full disclosure, I'm not like reviewing it for game critics, but uh, maybe if people like express these sentiments and reviews, maybe they'll think about patching some of that stuff in. Um, or maybe they're just going to stay true to their artistic vision and have the limited range of movement and stuff like that. Like, I mean, I'm not asking for, you know, a jump and flip and, you know, cartwheel out of the way button or anything, but I just feel like there are some tiny adjustments they could make to make it a little bit more user-friendly. Or if there were even like an easy mode that let you like use those and then maybe a normal mode that didn't or something like that. Because I just kind of am having a hard time getting down with how difficult the game is getting the longer I play. And if there are like four buildings and I'm only on the second one and it's already getting this hard now, I can only imagine how much harder it's going to get later. And I just kind of want to save myself the trouble in realizing that the game is not being that accommodating and just kind of quit now before I get any farther because it's a little bit too frustrating for me right now. I mean, a couple things. Number one, game design has gotten a lot better in recent years. And I know that there's some people who just like cling to that whole games were better back in the day, but they really weren't. I mean, a lot of, uh, we've made a lot of advances. Uh, some games back in the day really hold up and some don't. And I think that if you try to do kind of a retro game, like this kind of sounds like it's going for, like you want to go, you want to make a retro game that feels that feels like the way you remember it, not the way that it actually was. And I'm wondering <laughs> if maybe they, are just being a little bit too faithful and like not carrying over some of those niceties um, because there's a big difference between something that comes off as retro and something that feels retro and in every sense of the word. So that can be pretty tough. Also, the second thing, this sounds very much like my typical experience with a Rattalaika game because I've played a couple of the games where you start out, oh, this is cool, this is neat, uh, whatever this is, indie, different, whatever, I'm liking this. And usually what happens is they usually get too hard. Uh, I just played um, Daggerhood a while ago. That was from Rattalaika Games. Brilliant idea. Really enjoyed it. Super fun. And it got, like, nut-crushingly difficult. before, Like, way before the game got over, I stopped playing it. Um, I've had that experience with them at, in general, and I don't think they are a developer that really looks out for, like, challenge or balance or, um, you know, restraint when it comes to that thing. They kind of seem to me like kind of a hands-off, anything-goes sort of a publisher. Which I think ultimately is not good because you have these experiences like we're just describing, like me getting into Daggerfall and just being like exhausted by how hard they wanted me to work, or you with this, like you know, this wrench that's totally ineffectual and these cockroaches that are killing you. <laughs> uh, you know, I think a good publisher will sometimes step in and say, "Hey, you know, we played this and we were having some issues. Uh, maybe you can dial this back or polish this up or whatever." Um, they don't strike me as the kind of publisher that does that. Now, I'm not super familiar with them. I don't want to sound like I'm an expert or anything, but. But every time I play a Rattalaika game, I'm kind of bracing myself for something like that. So I can't really say that this is surprising to me. Yeah, I mean, I really think you're spot on with the you want a game the way you remember it, not the way it actually was. Because that's like 100% what's happening here. And I mean, I would even argue that like Resident Evil 1 and Silent Hill 1 were actually easier to play than back in 1995. I think even those games had slightly better accommodations. So, I mean, I get what they're going for, and I actually really do appreciate it because I'm, you know, I'm probably the most target audience for this game. Like, I'm the person who said over and over again, man, I really wish a developer would go back to this. Because a few years ago, we got a game called White Knight that was probably the most similar thing I had played to a Resident Evil since then, and I disliked that game strongly. It just didn't do the stuff that I wanted it to do for different reasons than back in 1995. But, yeah, back in 1995, it's just like... 
it I don't I I'm also curious why they picked 1995 because I feel like it could be like back in 1990 or something like it feels even older than that to me so I just like yeah I want it to be the way I remembered games with some slight accommodations rather than exactly on par with what they were before and unfortunately this is just it's the latter it feels like it could have come directly out of that era instead of being emulated to feel like it was from that era. And I wish that it were not that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully someone's listening and hopefully someone will do something about it. I mean, who knows? Uh, But I guess just heads up on 1995 and I kind of a general, like, I mean, I don't mean to paint them with a broad brush, but watch out for Rattalaga too. Like you got to know what you're getting (laughs) into with those guys. Cause they, I mean, they put out some cool stuff, but man, I just, I've been burned by them a couple times, so I just I, I'm a little bit cautious these days. But let's uh, let's move on. We got one more game that we're gonna wrap this show up, and I want to end strongly. Uh, like I promised earlier, this is another game that I think is great. Uh, a couple days ago, out of the blue, I got a quote unquote closed alpha code for Neo Two. Um, now this did not come to me because I'm at Game Critics. This was sent out by Sony to a number of people I assume who have PS. Plus at random, um, I, I I was really hard to tell why people got it because a lot of people that I know who really like Neo as, as like I did, and who put in more time than me and got more of the achievements didn't get a code. Um, and like I said, it wasn't it wasn't to me like as Brad as editor of Game Critics. It was like, hey PSN member, here's your free code. So it seemed like kind of like a generic blast. So I guess I just got lucky. Um, but I was a real big fan of Neo. I loved the campaign of Neo. Hated the DLC. Hated the DLC with a passion. But the core campaign, super, super good. One of my favorite games of the year it came out. It is the third-person action game with a samurai theme coming from Team Ninja. I say Neo is their best game ever. I know that me, you and I probably would disagree on that. <laughs> but for me, clearly by a mile, their best game ever. I really liked what they did with Neo. I thought it was really fun. Kind of like Dark Souls a little bit. Kind of like Onimusha a little bit. Um, kind of its own thing, kind of like Diablo in a certain way. Uh, I really got into the samurai third-person action. I thought it was just really well done. Um, so I was uh, definitely looking forward to a Neo 2, although I was not sure I would be ready for it after putting in 40 hours of Sekiro. I think I was like, oh, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm kind of like samurai slash ninja out after that. <laughs> but this code popped up out of nowhere, downloaded it, put some time in, and I gotta say, it was like a fucking just breath of fresh air to play this game. Neo 2, so far, looks wonderful. Um, basically the same thing. Third person, samurai action game. Uh, kind of Dark Soulsy, where you're exploring these big levels and there's lots of like gotcha moments. And the combat is definitely on the stiff side where you can get killed pretty quickly. Uh, but the game does not feel as out for your ass as Sekiro does. Like it didn't, it, it doesn't feel like it's really trying to fucking kill you. Like it wants you to step up a little bit. It wants you to, you know, it wants you to be good, but it's not, it's not that rough, right? Like a little bit of practice, you get sent back to a checkpoint. Checkpoints are not too far away. You can do a corpse run to get your stuff back. So that's no big deal. But it just, it, it, it really captures the feeling of like just getting in there and just playing and um, just engaging with the systems. There's a lot of systems. Um, not all of the systems were active for the alpha. A lot of the abilities that I know are going to be in the final game were not there. Uh, for example, you usually have a little companion animal that's with you that you can use to attack. That was not active. Uh, the ninja magic and the sorcerer magic, two different flavors of magic, neither one of those were active in the in the this quote-unquote alpha. Um, and just as a side note, this is not an alpha. It's a fucking demo. Like, it was super polished. It looked really good. 
controlled fine. Almost all the systems were in place. Alpha is like when you have a, a gray cube representing your character and you're in like a blank level. This is like near complete. So they just need to call it a demo. It's not a fucking alpha. Get off that. Um, but I just, I really got into it. I started playing it. I'm like, oh man, like this feels tight. Controls are tight. Uh, just really like the action. I think the action is really well done. Really satisfying to play this game. They have a bunch of new features that are specific to Neo 2. For example, you can now turn into a demon. You spent all your time killing demons in Neo 1, but now you can become one. Uh, that was really cool. So, like, whenever you get up to a big boss or you need some extra firepower, you turn yourself into a giant demon and you, like, fight. You can steal powers from demons that you kill. So, like, it's not like a Pokemon thing, but, like, you kill a certain demon, you pick up this little piece of him, and once you equip it, you can do, like, one attack from that demon. So, for example, one of the bosses was this demon that had a big hammer. Uh, I killed that guy, got his little collector's piece, and once I equipped it, I could summon him for just, like, a second. Like, he would show up in a flash... He would swing his hammer and then he'd be gone. So it was kind of like a little extra bonus move that I could do, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, you can also summon friends. Uh, there's lots of blue, like, gravestones. They're actually like swords stuck in the ground. Every time you see a blue one, that's somebody that's friendly. So if you have enough of a particular resource, you go up to this one, summon this dude in. And it's AI. I believe there's also co-op, but in the demo, it was just the AI guys. Summon an AI soldier to go with you and he'll just follow you around and, like, you can have some co-op action anytime you want. Which was great. And, like, all these things together. On top of that, like, I was constantly finding new equipment and armor. And it looks different when you put it on. Different stats. You can be, like, a ninja kind of a guy. You can be a heavier samurai kind of a guy. You can be in the middle. You can be kind of, a, like, a pirate sort of a dude. And you can just, like, have all these different builds you can work on. I found at least four or five different weapons that I could use. Uh, some were, like, a giant heavy uh, sword. Some were the quick small swords. There was uh, double-handed hatchets. I mean, there was, like, a bunch of stuff you could use. And I just really, like... I mean, I don't mean to talk about Sekiro again, but I missed all this stuff that was not in Sekiro. Like, From really got off on like wanting you to do the counter system and just really, like, you will play our game our way and this is the way that it is and it's a pure experience. And it just got really fucking tiring after a while. I love this game where they're like, yeah, do whatever you want. You want to wear a big fucking helmet with like these weird pants and you got two axes? <laughs> Go ahead. Do it. You want to have a little glowing red fox as your buddy or you maybe you want to have a shark with you instead do it whatever you want do that you want to summon somebody to, to help you out in this boss battle because his boss battle is hard yeah do it summon that guy help him you know like it's like yes please yes i love these options i love that i mean it's a challenging game i died a couple times for sure it's not super easy but like they want you to engage with it they want you to play there's a bunch of options you can play it your not a, maybe not entirely your way but like I know from experience with the first game, you could specialize. You could be like more of a magic user. You could be like a heavy axe user. You could be a quick sword user. You could do like all sorts of different things. You'd be stealthy if you wanted to. And so having those options gives me more agency over my character and gives me more ways to play the game. So if there's a challenging part, then I have more options as to how to overcome those challenges rather than simply, simply saying get good or don't, you know, which was kind of my experience with Sekiro. So I love the Neo 2 Alpha so far. Um, very, very similar to Neo 1. It's not like a giant step up. I mean, it kind of feels like a part two of the game, just like more of the same game. Like, it's not visually that different. And the way that it handles basically the same, all my muscle memory from Neo 1 was still there. That all worked, and so that was fine. So it's not like a, like this giant step forward for the series, but if you like Neo and you want more of that, and I liked it and I did want more of that, uh, I'm I, this is it. Like, this seems like to offer all the stuff that I want. Definitely feels different than what FromSoft did. Feels like its own thing. And uh, I'm liking all the choices it's doing. I started playing it, and i got to be honest with you, 
I was enjoying it so much, I started, like, grinding for better equipment for a little while. And I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Why am I doing this? <laughs> this is a fucking demo. It's going to get wiped in, like, two days. And then all that shit is... Uh, stop. I'm like, stop. Don't grind for better gear. Don't grind for years. That's stupid. Just stop it. Just put the game down. I saw what I needed to see. I liked what I saw. I will definitely be up for this when it comes out. Uh, I Everything is just green, green light, green flag, move ahead, go forward. Good sign so far. So I got a real good feeling about it. Um... I mean, Team Ninja did go wacky when they got to the DLC of Neo 1. It got real hard. I mean, really hard to the point of where I thought it was just unplayable hard, especially if you were on your own. It seemed like it was geared for two people. And even with two people, it felt like it was too hard. So the main campaign was great. I thought the balance was perfect. They spiraled off into fucky town with the DLC. Um, I'm hoping that they regain that balance for the main campaign because I'm, I'm fine with the challenge, but... I don't want the kind of crazy one-hit-kill, blink-and-you're-dead sort of thing that they did with the DLC. So hopefully they will regain the composure and the main campaign will be the same sort of challenge curve that it was the first time. That's my only concern, and I know that Team Ninja is notorious for getting that wrong. So I'm kind of holding my breath on that, but in general, seems like a win. I'm really excited about it. Okay, so given that this is that they're calling this an alpha, do you know when it, the final product is supposed to come out? I'm sorry I don't. I don't know when it was slated for release. I should have Googled that. I did not Google that because we don't do that here. Or at least I don't do that here. I know you do sometimes. But uh, I do not know. Sometime later this year. And, I mean, honestly, it's not an alpha. It looks really close to being done. I wouldn't be surprised if it was done. Yeah, I'm just surprised that they're calling this an alpha. Because when I hear alpha, I mean, I know from what you're saying, it seems like that alpha is not the best description here. But, like, if they're calling it that, when I think of an alpha, I think of a game that's, like, two years away if not more but the fact that this is like a full-on demo and they're calling it an alpha has me concerned that it's like a ways away but hopefully it no. will be out soon don't be too concerned because they did this exact same thing with neo one and like that game was near finished when they tried to pull this alpha banish shit but honestly <laughs> i think it was more about they never really fully confessed to it but i think it was more about um getting some user interface stuff and to get user experience stuff because a lot of people uh, bounced off the alpha, said it was way too hard, especially like in the first boss, like killed That's a lot what I of did. people. I did that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think they took some of that feedback and they're like, okay, wait, let's scale this back. And I think that's really what this is about. I, it does not in any way look like a true alpha. It looks like, is this too hard? Is it too easy? How far are people getting in the demo? Are we on track for this? That's what it seems like to me they're doing. And probably they're also checking the uh, online functionality as well. It has some kind of online function. So uh, that's what I think they're doing. This is not an alpha game. It's coming out this year guaranteed so there you go all right well excellent do you have anything else to add before we move on no that's it that's it um let's go ahead and start wrapping up but we do have one final thing to talk about don't we one issue not a game but about a housekeeping thing right yes okay do you want to talk you about wanna... the game giveaway or do you want me to talk about the q a stuff first you no i will talk about the giveaway first okay people Thank you very much. I know that I kind of went off uh, went off the rails last episode. <laughs> gave you my disappointed dad stare. And apparently that had an effect on at least a couple of you. We had a number of people write in uh, to claim a free game. Thank you very much. I really just want to give these away. Like, I want to give you some free stuff. Thank you for, um, for writing in. People who wrote in, I'm going to give you a shout out real quick. And then you will be hearing from me via email pretty soon. So it was Michael London. Brian Welch, Drew Rowland, Gabriel Romo, Thorsten Bush, and Diego Escareno. I believe I pronounced that right. I apologize if I got that wrong, but Diego. 
yes, I think those are the people who wrote in. So thank you very much. You guys will all be getting a free game. Uh, I will contact you via email pretty soon. And we will give away more free games because it seemed like that really took off. So I have PC. I have a couple Switch games left. And I have Xbox One. If you're listening to this episode and you want a free game, just write in. Don't be shy. I want to give these away. I want to get rid of them. Write in and tell me what you want. PC, Xbox, or Switch, and I'll hook you up. Thank you very much, and I look forward to giving away more games. Now, you, Corey, uh, you have something to bring up as well. Yes, we're talking about the Q&A stuff. Absolutely. Please do. All right. So, um, in a couple, for tiny full disclosure, in a couple weeks, I'm going on a business trip, and I'll be out of town for like an entire week. So, next week, Brad and I are planning on recording two shows that week. We're going to do a regular show, just like this one. We're going to have banter. We're going to have games. We're going to do all the usual stuff. And we're also going to record a special episode. We, we want to do another Q&A episode because we haven't actually done a Q&A episode in a while. Um, and every once in a while, whenever we have, whenever we're short on games and we only play like one game a piece, we might throw a Q&A out there and ask for questions. Um, we're going to kind of try to do an entire Q&A episode. Um, it'll probably be like some banter, some chat and some Q&A, um, pretty light stuff, you know, out of our normal format. But if you have, if you if you're a show listener, um, if you have any questions for us, they do not have to be game related. They can anything, be anything. Yeah, anything. I mean, you can ask us about lifestyle stuff. If you have any f- follow up from stuff we've talked about in banter that you remember, and you want to ask us about that. I mean, if you want to ask us about video games, pretty much anything's on the table. Um, you can email us. You can tweet us. I know Brad put kind of the feelers out on Twitter today and we actually got a handful of questions today already. So we're like already off to a good start. So um, we'll try to answer everything as long as, you know, the question is appropriate and it's not like offensive or anything. You know, we'll try to get to every question that we get. Um, even, and because it's been a while since we've done a Q&A episode, even if we get asked a question that we've been asked before and answered, we'll probably answer it again because um, it's been a while. So, I mean, in the odds of us getting the same question, I mean, who knows what the odds are. But if you have any, uh, if you have any interest in anything we do, it does not have to be, it can be video game related, it doesn't have to be video game related, it can be lifestyle, it can be movies, it can be music, it can be about our careers, about our high school, you know, whatever, whatever you want to ask us. Anything, anything goes, anything goes. Yeah, uh, please send in your questions because we're planning on doing an entire Q&A episode to put out kind of a bonus. It's not going to be a bonus episode, but it'll just be a stand-in episode because I won't have any time to record when I'm gone on my business trip. So we'll just kind of have it waiting in the wings to fill in for that week because you know that the last thing we want to do is skip a week of shows. We are very good about putting out a show every single week. Um... So, and we want to keep that up. So please send in your questions. Um, and that brings us to the end of the show. Uh, I will have the email up in a second so you can figure out where to send us stuff uh, in a second, but I just want to bring the official closing out tonight. Um, we have banter after the show, as usual, after the closing music, if you want to listen to that. Uh, Brad and I get caught up on what TV we've been watching. Um, Gasp, I actually bring some TV to the show this week as well. Um, and in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, if you have Q and a stuff for us, if you have anything else you want to send us, if you want to submit uh, for free games or what have you, um, there are several ways to get in contact with us. The first way is by emailing us. You can send us an email to so video games podcast at gmail.com. I monitor the email for that. Most of the stuff I get, I forward immediately to Brad so he can look at it too. Um, you can also get in contact with us on Twitter. We are at So Video Games on Twitter. 
You can also write comments on the Game Critics site whenever our shows go live there. They always go live there. We do have a comment section under every show on the page, so you can add any comments or questions there. Um, and last but not least, along with our Twitter account that's for the show, we also have our own individual social media accounts. And full disclosure, if you want to DM either of us your questions, you don't have to put your questions out there in the open for everybody to see. You can message us if you want. You can email us, and that way the questions can be private. I don't know if anybody wants to send in, like, sensitive questions or anything, but if you don't want your questions to be out there, you can always DM us or anything. Like, there are private ways to get in touch with us. Um, and the best way is probably via our uh, social media, our own individual social media accounts. Uh, Brad, would you like to give out your social media handles? Yep, you can find me on Twitter and the Instagram. It's B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's. Excellent. And I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. And I talk about this in banter, but I actually... I'm not going to deep dive on it here, but I have actually published a YouTube video recently. So if you're interested in... What is this, the start of my YouTube career, which is kind of a joke? Um, please listen to banter about that, but I am on YouTube as well now um, for something not gaming-related. But my handles are my name. It's across the board for Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, even Twitch. Even though I don't use Twitch very much, I do have an account. It is Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Uh, Brad, do you have anything else before we wrap this up? And that's it. Thank you all for listening, and uh, we will definitely catch you again next week. Excellent. Yes. So in the meantime, please send us your questions for a Q&A episode. And that brings us to the end of episode 133. Uh, and that's it. We'll be back with episode 134 next week. But until then, this is bye from Corey. And bye from Brad. See you then. Wednesday afternoon. I am tired and crabby, sir. I am. I am not feeling it right now. Oh no. Well, I. Um, may I ask if there's anything specific that's going on that you're feeling down about? No. I mean, today's been a pretty bad day politically. We don't really have to dive into that, but I'm real kind of just got major heartburn over that shit going down right now. And uh, other than that, just tired. I uh, spent the whole day with the sun doing some fun stuff we went around to this week is survival week so we are spending a lot of time looking at the things that you would need in a post-apocalypse situation what you Whoa. would need to survive and so we're we're buying supplies we're buying tools we're building uh little bug out bags that we could take with us and we're having a good time doing that but today we did like a lot and i'm just like really tired right now i need like i took a short nap but I think I needed more of a nap. I am I'm running a little empty in the tank right now. So nothing, I mean, nothing major, but uh, I mean, the political shit's kind of major, but out of my control. So nothing I can really do about that. But uh, yeah, I think maybe another half an hour of a nap would have uh, settled my hash a bit. <laughs> Is this survival thing like mandated by you or by like this city of Seattle or something? No, it was just a fun thing that we wanted to do. We, uh, you know, we homeschool, as I've mentioned on the show many times and, we were just like, oh, you know, we should get some stuff ready and I'll teach you how to, like, use a knife. And what do you, what do we do if we're out <laughs> in the woods? And, you know, you know, just kind of just father, son, looking at life and reality. And, you know, I mean, when I was growing up, we didn't really talk about that kind of stuff very much. We just assumed the system would always be there and that mm. things would always be fine and everything's always okay. 
But, you know, I don't really necessarily think that's really the, the reality <laughs> that we're in right now. And so now we're kind of like, yeah, okay, so how do you kill a person in three knife strokes? Or how do you, <laughs> oh how do you get fresh water out of a swamp? Or how do you make a sandwich when you're not able to uh, get mayonnaise. I mean, you know, like the stuff you need to, to figure out when you're when you're out in the wilderness or surviving. Or, you know, also, I mean, on top of that, Seattle, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, it's been, it kind of, it pops up in the news every couple years and it fades and it comes back. But uh, the Pacific Northwest and Seattle specifically is still kind of, I don't want to say it's an active volcanic zone because it's not exactly an active volcanic zone, but we do have multiple volcanoes in the area. But more than that, it's an earthquake zone, and we have some pretty serious uh, fault lines which do run through the area. And we've got the kind of earthquakes that are vertical rather than horizontal. So what that means is if we had a really bad one, it would be one of those, like, disaster movie scenes where, like, the earth would crack and then half of the earth would, like, shoot up, like, 20 feet, and the other half would, like, go down or whatever. Oh, my God. And so stuff would topple, and it would be, like, a you know, a giant disaster zone. Um, we had a pretty scary earthquake, I want to say in 2000, I believe it was, and I was at work when that happened. I remember it very clearly because it was really scary, and everybody just, like, freaked out. Everybody in Seattle talked about it for, like, a year afterwards. Um, <laughs> a bunch of damage got done to one of the major roadways, and it just became, like, really unsafe for, like, a long time. And so, like, but now it's kind of faded. Uh, but you know, they always say, you know, it could be, it could happen this year. It could happen in a thousand years. We don't know. We can't predict, you know, the geological scale of when the next earthquake is going to happen, but it's more of a when rather than an if, although, I mean, to be fair, I mean, it could be a hundred lifetimes from now, or it could be next week. We never know. So, you know, just to, just to play it on the safe side a little bit, have some, you know, fresh water and dry goods in the house and have some backpacks that have flashlights and, uh, you know, rope or something. And, you know, I don't know. It just doesn't hurt to be a little bit more prepared than the average bear. You know what I mean? Yeah, that actually makes me think a lot about um, living in New Orleans because of the hurricanes down here. I remember whenever I started working at Tulane, um, we had, during orientation, we had a guy who works for Tulane who's kind of like a disaster management kind of guy um, for the university who kind of makes plans and stuff regarding what happens if a hurricane comes through, what happens if there's really significant flooding on campus or something like that. Um, Cause like on campus specifically, even if it just rains hard for about an hour, um, there's like streets that flood. I might've talked about this before, but there's like one kind of main street that cuts campus off between campus itself and the parking garage that I sometimes park in. And one day whenever I was at work, it was just raining, you know, nothing really out of the ordinary, just like a day of some heavy rain. And when I went to go back to my car, the street that, um, kind of intersects campus and the garage, it was like three feet of standing water in that street. Holy and I shit. mean, it went down. I mean, it didn't take long for it to go down, maybe like an hour or so. And I didn't walk through it. But like, it's kind of funny about living in New Orleans because people are just like prepared for that kind of stuff. Like they have like rubber boots in their offices. And there was a dude who was walking down the street and he just like straight up took his shoes and socks off and like walked across this, like the three feet of standing water in the street to get to the other side. And, you know, I was wearing like, um, you know, my business shoes and slacks and I wasn't about to like walk through the water. So I just kind of hung around on campus for a little while, hoping it would go down. And luckily it did. But I remember specifically during orientation, the disaster management guy had talked about, you know, he was like, he was like, I'm not trying to scare you guys. He was like, but honestly, if you live in the New Orleans area, like pretty much every single person that lives in the New Orleans area, you need to have like 
some kind of like tote or a safe in your house that has like a week's worth of clothing, um, like hundreds of dollars in cash, food, water that won't go bad. You need to have cases of water in your house. And, you know, he was like, because once a hurricane hits, you know, he was kind of like talking us through like the logistical problems and how we need to have like fuel for our cars and canisters in our houses because if uh, if like the city has to evacuate because of a hurricane like you're basically there's only like a few ways to get out of the city and get north because we're on um you know like Pontchartrain is above us and there's basically like new orleans is kind of like flanked by bodies of water on every side so he was talking about how anytime the city has to evacuate for a hurricane you're basically stuck on the road for like an entire day and you like and that's like in traffic like not really going anywhere and it really and i feel like an idiot because i can't come to the end of the story and say oh patrick and i have all these totes of all this supplies because we haven't planned anything because we're idiots but he was talking about basically how like you have to have all that stuff ready because once the city evacuates like it takes days just to get out of the city most of those days you're just in your car trying to get out and how fuel is like a major scarcity because everybody is trying to fill up their car as soon as a disaster happens and nobody plans in advance and about how pretty much every corporation that's in new orleans and there's a handful of pretty big companies here how like across the river up through like um, Alabama, they will like rent out entire hotels as like disaster management plans. So like, even if you get across the lake and get like into Alabama, like good luck finding a hotel room anywhere because everyone like pre books them for disasters. So you basically have to drive like to like, either you have to have friends who will house you who live like a state away or you have to drive like two States away to even find like a hotel to stay in. And I mean, maybe having this conversation with you right now will kind of remind me that Patrick and I need to, like, take a serious look at getting that kind of stuff together, like getting some totes together that have survival supplies and stuff like that, because we still have never done that. I mean, fingers crossed, because a hurricane hasn't hit since we've lived here. But, you know, thinking about that stuff is really scary and thinking about the fact that it could actually happen and that, you know, you and I both live in places where there's kind of sensitive um, geography that's kind of prone to situations like that because a lot of people don't prepare for stuff like that. So it's definitely good to be on top of it. Yeah, man. I mean, don't feel bad because, I mean, I've known about the situation in Seattle for like literally 15 or 20 years. And I'm only <laughs> I'm only just now starting to do something like really serious about it. I've had a couple of half-hearted attempts here and there. Like after the scare in 2000 that scared everybody shitless and so everybody for like two weeks was just like oh yeah i bought a bunch of extra water and i got some granola bars and i got batteries for a flashlight and then it kind of just petered out and then you end up eating the granola bars and drinking the water and (laughs) it kind of just you know because like you just get lulled back into your sense of security right but like so don't feel bad i mean it takes a while it takes a few tries before you actually make it stick um and but this is it's finally sticking now i mean i think in part of it too is because we cleaned up our house and rearranged things and we're lucky enough to have a little bit of extra space in our house. I know space is really tight in Seattle. Uh, we're still living in the same place, but we just kind of rearranged things a little bit. And so we have a little bit, a little closet that we have kind of dedicated. Actually, it's more like half a closet um, that we have dedicated to just like keeping survival stuff. And so we're like, this is where survival stuff goes. We have water in here. We've got like granola and like, we know we're not going to dip into it and it's going to just be there. And that's the place where it goes. And so having a place helps. And also, um, you know, we have just like a little bit of extra money, not rich by any stretch of the imagination, but we have a couple extra bucks. And so we're like, okay, I can actually afford to buy an extra two flashlights this week or, you know, 
next week I'll buy like an extra rope or something. And so we're slowly, you know, I can't just go out and buy like every single thing we need, but um, keeping it in mind, having a place to put it, also having a kid too is really good um, motivation because, you know, I want him to survive. I want all of us to survive. And, you know, I mean, sometimes it does cross my mind of like, oh shit, you know, like if, if, if Seattle does get an earthquake, it's going to be fucking terrible. There's going to be just like this giant gaping hole in the earth and the whole city is going to be like a wreck. And, you know, I mean, I watch enough post-apocalyptic shit to know that people are going to be terrible once that happens. You know, it's going to be raping and pillaging and flames and death and destruction and Mad Max vehicles driving all over the landscape and shit. And it's going to be awful. So, you know, I, I, I want to have at least a few precautions in place. So I think uh, I think it's going to stick this time. We're getting pretty serious about it. We brought we bought some backpacks at the local Valley Village. So they were like $6 each or something. And so they were super cheap and they're like perfectly brand new good backpacks that somebody just tossed out of the house for whatever reason. We're going to get those ready to go and just, you know, get the whole thing. We looked at a bunch of, uh, went to the Army Navy surplus store today, which is full of a lot of really interesting stuff. Uh, A whole bunch of just like weird, like weapons and clothing and parachutes and bullets and all sorts of weird (laughs) shit, machetes and everything. I was tempted to get a machete, but I'm like, there's honestly not that much jungle in Seattle, so I probably wouldn't use it that much. Um, but uh, we did buy a bunch of stuff, and my son, while he was there, actually tried on a ghillie suit. Do you know what a ghillie suit is? I'm sure. Oh you know. yeah, like the leafy sniper suit. Yep, they had one that was in a kid size, so he tried that on. <laughs> uh, kid be, size. Oh my yep, god. <laughs> yeah, I'll be posting that to Instagram later. So if you want to see that, everybody wants to see that, you'll see my son in a ghillie suit that we tried on today. Uh, he was really wanting to buy it, but I'm like. And I was almost I was almost going to buy it because that seemed like a really fun, cool thing. But I'm like, you know what? If I buy that for you, the only thing that's going to happen is you're going to get in trouble because you're either going to scare somebody or you're going to get lost in the woods or something. I, I, I couldn't see like a benevolent purpose to having one of those things. And I'm like, no, your mom's going to think I'm a fucking moron for buying that for you. I can't. I can't do it. So <laughs> we nixed it. Uh, but he really liked that a lot. Um, so we ended up buying... A couple of knives, because, you know, like, I'm thinking after, if a disaster happens, you're going to need to cut things, you're going to need to open things. I mean, you may need to defend yourself. Hopefully it never comes to that. Uh, but he's never had, like, like a knife before. Like, but I don't know about you, Corey, but when I was growing up, I was real Mr. kind of outdoorsy guy, which is kind of, like, the opposite of who I am today, because I, I hate to leave my house. But uh, I was in the woods all the time. I was on the ocean all the time. I was on the lakes and rivers all the time. I was out unsupervised in the woods, in the forest, in the mountains by myself or with friends all the time. And I had a bunch of knives. Like I was always packing at least one or two knives wherever I went. And so I'm pretty comfortable with them. And I wanted him to just kind of get a taste for that. And um, just, you know, just, you know, just to know what it was so that you're not afraid of it. You know how to use it properly and how to, you know, not hurt yourself with it and stuff. Are you, uh, I know you're Mr. Guns, but have you uh, dabbled in knives at all? Or how are you with knives? Um, I have, I mean, I used to have a pretty bitchin' like pocket knife that, my dad gave me for Christmas a long time ago, but unfortunately it got stolen in my camera bag when my camera bag got stolen about a year and a half ago. Yeah, um, I remember that. And I haven't really, like, I don't know, bought a new one. I don't know if, I mean, Patrick probably has, like, I don't know, some kind of utility knife around somewhere. Because I remember his dad at one point, because his dad um, was in the Army for, like, ever. I think he was pretty much an active duty up until maybe, like, five years ago, and... Um, now he teaches, I think he teaches ROTC now in a high school, if I remember correctly. Um, and I remember at one point, it might've been whenever Patrick graduated from college, I remember his dad giving him just kind of like a little box of like 
stuff that you would need. Like he bought Patrick a gun, which is kind of funny, and um, like shooting gloves, and I think just like a toolkit that had. Um, you know, it was, like, tools related to, like, cleaning the gun, but also it was just kind of like a Swiss Army knife type deal that had a lot of tools in it. Um, and just, like, a lot of little stuff like that. Um, so he might have one around here, but we're definitely, like, I don't know, on the... I know that they have completely different uses, but we're kind of more on, like, the gun side of things. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I mean, I I have never really been much of a gun guy, although I am definitely kind of coming around in recent years. So we haven't crossed that, uh, crossed that line yet, but it is something in the back of my mind. I may have to, uh, hit you up for some advice or something in the future if that changes. But, uh, yeah, so that's, that's kind of what we did today. We, uh, busted out the knife, taught him how to use that a little bit, cut some things and nobody got injured. So that was good. Good, good, good. And, uh, that's about it. I think after the podcast, we're going to go get things organized in the back room. We bought, a, you know, some stuff today, and I uh, I was just really tired when we got back. We were driving all over, so I have not actually, like, put things in their proper place, so if a disaster happened literally right now, I think we would be scattered and in trouble, but uh, <laughs> half an hour after the show's over, we'll have it all stowed away, and we'll be in good shape, so well, knock crossed. on wood, knock yeah, on wood. That a, uh, yeah. Earthquake does not happen during the podcast recording. <laughs> or ever in my <laughs> lifetime. Let's, let's, let's broaden that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say specifically because you said in like a few hours you'd be all ready to go. So like <laughs> we're in we're currently in that few hours where things could be disastrous right now and exactly. then you would not be prepared. <laughs> exactly, exactly. At my most vulnerable. So that's kind of what my that's kind of what my day was. I have a couple rando things to talk about. But what about you, man? How's your day been? What you been doing? Um I am going to basically we're going to go from like guns and knives and survival horror and post-apocalypse. And I'm going to turn this direction completely in the opposite direction. Um, the reason why I was late for recording late, quote unquote, we're actually recording like early, but late to when we were going to record even earlier is because I was uh, busy frantically posting a link to my Facebook page to celebrate something. Would you like to know what I was celebrating? Uh, yeah, I haven't been on facebook since i don't remember when so i probably would not have seen it what uh, what are you celebrating today <laughs> um i started i i made my first youtube video yesterday you did and yes and believe it or not i know this will be so hard to believe it is a makeup tutorial i did not know you made a video you didn't say anything about it i know i haven't posted on twitter yet i did it so it was kind of pretty quick yesterday i um I got home from work, and for some reason, I mean, for a little bit of backstory here, I know I've mentioned on the show before that I'm, uh, I listen to a podcast called Full Coverage, and they have a podcast group, or a Facebook group, I mean, for the podcast, and it's like a closed uh, group that you have to ask to be a part of, and I mean, they let pretty much everybody in, as long as you're not, like, just in it trying to sell stuff, uh, and... Um, it has like 3,000 people and I do pretty much like every time like well, I'll do you know makeup looks and post them on Twitter and stuff and those pictures are the same ones I post in the group because I know that people in the group like that's kind of what the group is for like it's kind of people like post the looks they do people talk about they ask for recommendations they ask for you know stuff it's just kind of a general like although the podcast is very like makeup and skincare focused it's just a really great for, I mean for the most part a great place to be because it's kind of like like, I really, I, I, we've probably talked about this before, but I really enjoy it because, like, most of the group, as you could probably imagine, is women. And it's just cool to be in a space where, like, women are really, like, lifting each other up. And it's about kind of, like, it's kind of like I've, like, infiltrated this weird, like, not weird because it's not weird at all, but this, like, sector of society where it's just, like, a bunch of cool women in this group, like, complimenting each other's makeup and, like, 
being cool and, you know, being kind to each other. And it's just, like, a nice space. And I feel like if, like, every man on the planet just vanished, like, that Facebook group would be, like, the planet. And all these women would just be happy and they would love each other and men would not be there to ruin everything for them. So, like, on one hand, I feel, like, kind of guilty being in the group, although they know I have good intentions and I'm never there to, like, mansplain or whatever. Um, and they like my looks, and I've had a few people ask me to do YouTube videos, like tutorials for the stuff I've done. And every time I do, every time somebody says something, I'm like, oh, you know, I don't really want to. Like, I'm not really, like, yeah, I have the equipment because I have my camera and I have my lights, but, like, I don't really, I just kind of don't want to do it. And also I don't, like, the idea, it's kind of like the same thing with pod, with podcasting where it's like you podcast and the idea of, like, editing the show and listening back to your voice like is kind of a nightmarish idea and I felt the same way about like watching myself like not only do I have to film myself but I have to watch myself back like over and over again to edit the video and like I usually kind of like hate the way I look so I didn't want to like do that at all but yesterday I don't know what the deal was I just had like a wild hair and I came home from work and Patrick was going to be at work for several hours and I had some plans to do a photo shoot yesterday but they fell through because the guys didn't want to drive into town so I had a bunch of free time and I was like you know what I'll just try to set up the camera and I'll just see what I can do and I had bought a few weeks ago uh, it's kind of like a mini HDMI to HDMI cable that plugs for my camera directly into one of my computer monitors and it basically turns my computer monitor into like a giant monitor if I'm using my uh, my like nice digital camera to film stuff and so I like hooked it into the computer monitor and I like tried to get all my lights set up and I got like my makeup out and everything and I did like a it was basically like I mean it was really colorful it's like a bright like pink and purple kind of smoky eye I guess and but I only did it on one of my eyes because I wasn't I it was very much like a test video and I wasn't even sure if I was going to post it because I was like okay I don't really know what the footage is going to look like maybe it'll look like garbage maybe it'll be like crappy or whatever but it ended up being okay so I ended up doing just like one kind of smoky eye and not even doing the other eye I didn't even do like foundation or brows or mascara or anything I just like did eyeshadow and I did two it was pretty easy like even though it's a pretty like high impact look it was like two bright colors I only used three brushes and they're like affordable brushes and so I, like, edited the video as soon as I did it yesterday because I was kind of, like, hyped on it as soon as I finished it and was riding that wave. And then I ended up going to the gym last night to hang out with some friends, and then we went to dinner. And then when I got home, I posted it. And then this morning, I took – I posted the video to YouTube as, like, private, and then I unlocked the video this morning, and I posted it to the group because I hadn't really planned on, like, making it – like, posting it, really, like, on Twitter or anything because I just kind of did it for the group. And then – I posted in the group and I like have already gotten a bunch of really good feedback with people telling me about like how they really liked that I was like showing my techniques a lot and how um, like this the way that I explain stuff is really easy to follow and I have um, hooded eyes I don't know if I've talked about hooded eyes versus not hooded eyes on the show before have I talked about this this does not sound familiar now. <laughs> well, let me do a brief explainer. So um, there's, like, definitely a bunch of different kinds of eye shapes in, like, the human anatomy. But a hooded eye is what I have. And it basically means, like, if, you're, if your eyes are just neutral and they're open and they're looking straight ahead, like, your eyelid space kind of like is hidden underneath your eyebrow bone it's like if you have eye like a brow bone where your eyebrows are that kind of like protrude forward a little bit um it means that the eyelid space kind of like disappears behind that whenever your eyes are open and hooded eyes are like not it's like not 
a desirable eye shape for women, especially because um, if you do a lot of makeup, like eye makeup, then it just kind of like disappears under that fold of your eye because it goes underneath your brow bone. But some people don't have hooded eyes and they have a lot, like their eyelids are com- completely show off whenever they're just like neutral and looking forward. So it's kind of like, um, I explained it this way in the video on a whim and I think it was actually like smart of me to say and I don't ever think I say anything smart and it's kind of like if you have hooded eyes it's like doing a painting on a canvas but you have to like lift a sheet off half the canvas to look at all of the work but if you don't have hooded eyes the canvas is just open and you can see everything so I have hooded eyes and hooded eyes is a big thing because a lot of women who do beauty videos on YouTube don't have hooded eyes and if your eye, if your freaking eyelid doesn't disappear under your brow bone whenever you open your eyes, it's a lot easier to do eye makeup, and it's a lot, it looks better because you can actually see all of it while your eyes are open. But I have hooded eyes, so like my video is kind of like hooded eye focused, and I talk about some techniques that I've learned on how to like do makeup better on hooded eyes, and apparently um, the women in the Facebook group are really happy with the way that I explained it, and apparently I like did a good job. So I've had like a few people you know, already say like, oh, you did such a good job at explaining it. And I'm so happy that you only use three brushes because a lot of beauty YouTubers use like a hundred, not a hundred, but like maybe like five ish or more brushes in a video. And I, and I feel like (laughs) in a funny way, like my laziness is actually kind of like really paying off here because like, I don't have the patience to use like five to 10 different eye brushes to do a look in a video. And I sure as hell don't have the patience to fucking clean all of them after I do the look because your brushes obviously get dirty with the eyeshadow on them as you're doing the look. So not only am I like being lazy by only using a few brushes and only using like two colors of eyeshadow rather than like five or six or however many you want to use, um, that's kind of paying off in a weird way. So the women in the group were like extremely appreciative of the way that I explained everything. So apparently like my first video is kind of a hit. I mean, I haven't like gone viral or anything. I've got a whopping like 40 views on it on YouTube. So I'm basically like going to be the next best beauty blogger in the world after this. Um, but I'm just happy that people appreciate what I've done. Cause I was feeling very uneasy about filming myself and about doing it and about editing it and kind of putting it out there. Cause I know that like having a YouTube channel is kind of like a thing that basically if you're like Gen Z, you like kind of grow up just like having a YouTube channel. It's weird. It's like how we grew up, I don't know, and you got, like, a cell phone. I mean, this is different for you because you and I are a different age. But, like, you know, I didn't get a cell phone until I was, like, 16 or 17. And now it's, like, you basically come out of the womb with, like, an iPhone in your hand and your YouTube channel already programmed into it so you can, like, make YouTube videos. And, like, the even stranger, like, if we want to get really meta, is, like, nowadays and for the past, like, 10 years or so because of social media, like – you're on, you are on the internet before you even come out of your mother's uh, womb. Like, y- your sonogram pictures are everywhere. And this is a trend that I don't like and don't support at all. But, hey, to each their own. I don't have kids. But, like, I don't like people flooding their feed with, like, sonogram pictures whenever they're pregnant. And, like, kind of trying to exploit their kids on YouTube whenever they're young and stuff like that. So it's just kind of a weird thing. But uh I'm kind of getting off on a tangent here, but uh, yeah. So I mean, long, long, long story short, um, I have done I have done a beauty video, and apparently it is kind of successful to the people that are in the group. So I'm kind of excited about it, and I'm actually feeling the urge to like do more of them because like when I filmed the video yesterday, I said it in the video like 
hey, you know, I don't even know if I'm going to do another one of these. Because, you know, most people, when they sign off, they're like, oh, I'll see you in the next video. Bye, guys. But I signed off, and I was like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to do this again, so we'll see. But take care, everybody. And now that apparently I'm, like, good at explaining things or something, uh, I feel like I want to do more of them. So I don't know. I'm kind of excited. So maybe, uh, maybe my YouTube career will just take off, and I'll have to cancel the podcast completely, Brad. How about that? Oh, like hell you are no 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 you've committed you've committed for the long haul buddy you ain't going nowhere you can just do it at the same time you're doing your goddamn videos and we'll just have two feeds going at the same time or something uh where can i mean number one i'm really excited for you that sounds awesome um i know everybody's got their own thing and i know you really like the makeup stuff and that's awesome i don't know much about it but i would love to watch this video where can people who want to educate themselves about hooded eye techniques see this video where would we find it Well, first and foremost, if they really want to educate themselves, I would point them toward, there's a two sisters on YouTube named Sam and Nick Chapman, and they're like middle-aged British women who are totally fabulous. They have a channel called Pixie Woo, P-I-X-I-W-O-O, and Sam, and I talk about this in my video, Sam has done a hooded eye uh, liner technique video. She did it like two or three years ago, and it is the best. So honestly, if you're looking for real education, Google like or get on YouTube and search like Pixie Woo Hooded Eye. But you're being you're awfully my, kind and generous yeah, and gracious, but really this is about you right now, Corey. Please enjoy the spotlight. I, I love we're throwing your way. <laughs> yes, get back on the spot. Get back in the spotlight. We want to just talk about you for just a moment. Yes, Where can we see your video? So talking about me is like my least favorite thing to do in the world. Um, I mean, honestly, just get on YouTube, I guess, and google like or google get on youtube and google it um get on youtube and search for <laughs> god damn it just search my name i guess because my channel is just my name it's Corey motley so okay, okay. um and i'll probably i'll i guess i'll probably mention it at the end of the show whenever we talk about twitter and uh and our instagram links just i'm not gonna like have a 30 minute discussion about makeup but i'll probably mention it and um i'll probably post it on i haven't posted on twitter yet but i think after we record later tonight i'll probably post it and just be like hey y'all i i guess i'm on youtube now um and see how that goes over on Twitter. But um, yeah, so yeah, just yeah. search for me on YouTube and you sh- hopefully you'll find me. I have like five videos because I did, I used to stream video games every once in a while. So those are on there. Um, I've done a couple of videos where I do like my photo editing process where I just basically do like a screen recording of my computer and I kind of like edit a few photos and kind of talk about that. But this is my first video where I'm like actually in front of the camera, like doing something to me for other people's education so this is kind of a new thing for me that sounds awesome i will go check it out i'm sure other people will be very interested and in fact i'll even send it over to um my good friend josh castile because he does wear makeup uh, fairly often not only for acting purposes but just for funsies purposes so i bet he would probably get something out of your techniques so i will oh my uh, gosh. send that his way cool, okay cool. so here hold on here's the plan yeah. then here's the plan josh the plan. is gonna book a cool job somewhere and obviously, when he does that, you are going to go off with him to be his, like, um, his, like, translator, uh, or translator's not the right word. What's the right word? It's personal interpreter. Interpreter. That's what I was looking for. His terp- his interpreter. Um, you will take your family. You guys will go off with him and interpret. And then he will watch my video. And suddenly, he will hire me as his personal makeup artist. And then we can all just travel together and we can live happily ever after. How does that sound? I mean, it sounds kind of possible. It could happen. Could happen. He doesn't have a dedicated makeup guy yet, so I think the the position's open. I mean, there's there's some room for negotiation here, so we shall see. We shall see. I will file that away, and we'll see where it goes. 
Um, getting off of makeup for a minute. And congratulations, by the way. That's really cool. Oh, thank um, you. Thank you. Yeah, very much so. And I'm glad that you used your name because I was, I was, <laughs> I knew that this wasn't going to be true, but I was totally waiting for you to say, like, you would use, like, a nom de plume for, like, YouTube or something. I was totally uh-huh. waiting for you to be, like, I don't know, like, Swamp Dude 69 or something, or, you know, like, because you're out of New Orleans. So I was like, oh, I hope oh you my pick God. a good name. I, I told, some... I've had, um in the Facebook group that I'm in, I've kind of taken some inspiration from people. And I remember I posted a look a few weeks ago, and it was with, like, makeup that wasn't very good. Like, I made it look fine, but, like, the makeup itself wasn't very good. And I kind of made that clear in the post, like, kind of talking about, like, oh, this eyeshadow didn't blend very well. It didn't, like, go on very well, and this lip color kind of sucked, but I made it work. And one of the women commented and said something about, like, oh, you're so good at, like, making suboptimal products look great. And I was like, I mean, it was definitely a compliment, but it sounded kind of like a backhanded compliment, and I thought it was hilarious. And so I, I commented on her back, and I was like, oh, if I ever start a YouTube channel, I think I'll have to name myself, like, Suboptimus Prime for that. And so, like, I had <laughs> thought about that, like, just kind of a stupid thing to do. But right now I'm just sticking with my own name because I guess I am my own brand, and I don't really consider, I'm not really going to deviate from that anytime soon. So, yeah, it's just me. Well, there's still plenty of time, still plenty of time to come up with something clever like that. So I will be when I make it big, I'll be the artist formerly known as Corey. And then I'll be something else after that. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Sign sign my copy of your album, sir. Uh, all right. Let's turn it. Let's turn it to some other shit here. Uh, let's do TV and movies since that's our usual jam. Hell yeah. Hey. I have TV again this week, so I can follow up with this, too. OK, perfect. Perfect. Um, quick shout out a while ago. Um I mentioned that we finished Steven Universe. I love Steven Universe. I think I'm probably going to be a Steven Universe fan for the rest of my life. But we needed a new show to watch. Did I did I mention that we settled on Craig of the Creek? Did I mention that before? I don't think so. I had gotten a bunch of suggestions from people on Twitter and from people I knew. I got like 20 or 30 different suggestions. Some of them I knew that I already didn't like. And then we were going to go through the rest of them and just kind of find something that was a good family show. We watched Over the Garden Wall first. I believe I talked about that like once. That's just like a 10 or 12 episode miniseries. That was over. It was good, um, but not, you know, not like our usual show because like Steven Universe ran for like six or seven seasons or something that would that kept us busy for a long time. So we wanted something a little longer that we could kind of commit to on a daily basis. Um, So one of the things that we started watching uh, was Craig of the Creek. I had never heard of it before. It's also a Cartoon Network show, just like Steven Universe was. And apparently some of the people who had worked on Steven Universe, not the lead showrunner. Um, I believe her name is Rebecca Sugar, but like just some of the other people who had been like in and around the show kind of went off and did this. As far as I know, I haven't like IMDB'd it or anything. I haven't really done like a lot of show research. Um, but apparently they're, they're here and I can kind of see some similarities. But basically it's a show about a kid who lives in a suburban neighborhood that is bordered by a bunch of woods which kind of reminded me of how I grew up. We had like, you know, a neighborhood, but there was like a a real serious patch of woods that was near us. Um, So we had like both civilization and wilderness. And he is obsessed with like making maps. And so he wants to like map every inch of the creek. And he and his two friends, uh, one of them is a girl who like role plays as like a medieval warrior all the time. And his his other friend is a guy who's just like kind of generally like weird. And the three of them go on these um, adventures in and around the creek doing different things. But it's it's pretty funny. The first season is, kind of, is pretty okay, pretty solid. Second season, which we're on now, gets really good. It gets really funny. Um, I've laughed a lot. Like, genuine, like, oh, my God, that was so clever. I can't believe they did that. That was so funny. Um, but the thing that I like about it the most is that 
it's kind of realistic. I don't want to say it's totally realistic, but it's kind of a cartoon where everything that happens is just like a half a step removed from something that a kid could like actually do in real life. So like one of my favorite episodes so far was the kids um, are having a problem at home. Dinner is not made. And then the dad who is around is like, I can't deal with this right now. Here's 20 bucks. Please just get dinner done. And the kids like freeze. They're like, holy shit. We're like <laughs> eight and nine and 10. How the fuck are we going to get dinner on the table? You know, like, and it was like totally realistic. Like, these kids were like, we can call a takeout place. Are they even going to listen to us? Cause we sound like kids. How much does it cost? You know, like, and so they, they go do it. But along the way, you know, they kind of like fantasize a little bit where instead of just walking down the street, they're like going down a mountainside or something like they're imagining like this kind of like Lord of the Rings adventure kind of a thing. But actually, they're just in the neighborhood or whatever. So, I mean, stuff like that is really funny. They also talk about like family relationships a little bit. And I mean, just everything they do is it's like just kind of realistic. And I think that gives it a really good quality where you can actually like relate to it, even if you don't have a lot of woods near your house and you haven't gone on these actual adventures. I've actually gone on many adventures similar to what he's done. You know, I had a boat when I was a kid. I was out in the woods all the time. Like, you know, no parental supervision. It's going out like miles and miles from home and in the forest and stuff. So, I mean, I can relate to it on that level. My son cannot because he has not gone on those adventures. I would never let him do that shit because my parents were terrible. <laughs> my parents should never let me do that stuff because that was super dangerous. Um, but like, even, even if you haven't had that personal experience of like being in the woods and stuff, just seeing what these kids do, like how they relate to the other kids, how there's these different like cliques of kids how some are like jerks and some are not and some are older and some are younger and just like how they all kind of come together. It seems really true um, to nature and I really appreciate like how genuine a lot of it seems. So even though there's like a lot of silliness and sometimes stuff happens that is obviously like a cartoon or something that couldn't quite happen in real life. Like it's not super far removed. Like it's not pure fantasy, which I think actually makes it really unique and special on its own. So I really like it a lot. Um, it's good stuff. And like I said, first season, pretty solid. Second season, really good. Like, they find the rhythm, they find the humor. It gets a lot sharper, and I'm really, really enjoying it um, quite a bit. I also really enjoy, I didn't realize this for the first couple episodes, but Terry Crews plays um, Craig's dad. Oh, and, good old Terry oh, Crews. Oh, my God. Like, he fucking leans into it so hard. I mean, he does a good job. <laughs> I think Terry Crews is, you know, just kind of great in general. But, like, when he's playing Craig's dad, they had this one episode where Craig and his dad were, like, they had this... Uh, Friday night ritual of like playing fighting games together and like oh my god they just got so mad and so heated at each other and it got to be this crazy competition and hearing Terry Crews just like lean into that and just like be <laughs> bloodthirsty wanting to kick his ass at his son's ass at like this equivalent of Street Fighter was just really good it was just really really good so I dig Craig of the Creek I give that big time um, thumbs up to anybody out there listening who's got kids or maybe if you just want a light-hearted light show for yourself I'm actually getting quite a bit out of it myself also so I definitely uh I dig that. Um, I've got two more things to talk about. Do you want to? You want to tag team TV shows here? What do you got? Um, I have been um, watching only the hottest and newest TV right now. I actually um, a couple years ago I talked about going on my first kind of like anime binge, maybe in my life, and that was whenever I was watching Ghost in the Shell um, standalone complex, which was a two season show in the Ghost in the Shell universe, leading up to the live-action version of Ghost in the Shell with Scarlett Johansson coming out. Um, I had never, like, obviously I've always known about anime, but I had never really watched it, like, anything religiously. Like, I had watched Dragon Ball Z a little bit when I was a kid. I had watched Gundam Wing a little bit when I was a kid, but I had never really sat down to, like, purposefully watch it until um, 
you know, kind of my Ghost in the Shell run. And I went over to my friend Weston's house on Friday. Um, he was out of town, so I just went over to check on his cat, and he said that there was beer in the fridge I could take. So obviously I was like, well, yes, I will watch your cat for a little bit if I can take some beer with me. And he has a shelf of uh, PS4 games and Blu-rays under his um, TV on his entertainment center in his living room. And as I was leaving, I just kind of scanned through his movies and games, and I was like, hmm, is there anything I want to take with me for the weekend? Because um, we borrow each other's stuff. He had Spider-Man on PS4 from me for like three months uh, after I beat it and you know we just trade games and movies every once in a while and and I looked through his stuff and did not realize I don't know if he's into anime but he had the entire um, Blu-ray collection of Cowboy Bebop on Blu-ray so I know that Cowboy Bebop is like kind of one of the big ones as far as anime goes it's probably like 20 or so years old at this point maybe more um, and I've seen a few episodes here and there. I think it was on Hulu streaming, actually, if I remember correctly. And we had Hulu for a while. And I watched, like, a couple of episodes maybe, like, three months ago or something just to kind of see what it felt like and get into it. Because I know a little bit of the background. Like, I know about Spike, the main character, who has, like, the green hair and wears the cool blue suit and everything. Um, and I had photographed a really good cosplayer recently who did a Spike <coughs> cosplay who's, like, pretty phenomenal. And so... Um, it's just kind of one of those things that I had always kind of been meaning to watch, and I am about six or seven episodes in now, um, so I feel like I can give a slightly, um, I don't know, like maybe half-hearted review of what's going on so far, because there's only, I think, 26 episodes in the run, and then that's it, and they made a movie separately, and they did Greenlight, a live-action movie. Netflix is making a live-action movie, and the incredible thing is that, if I'm not mistaken, they cast... John Cho, who is an Asian actor, as Spike in the movie. So it's kind of like going directly against this sort of like big Hollywood, like whitewashing of Asian characters and, you know, kind of like Ghost in the Shell or whatever. It's kind of going directly against that, which I think is really great. Um, but before I talk a little bit more specifically, have you seen Cowboy Bebop or do you have a bunch of familiarity with it or anything? Or what's your kind of uh, take on it uh, thus far? Um, I have heard of it, uh, but like when I was into anime, it was when anime was first a thing. I think I've, I've talked about it a little bit on the show, but like I can remember a time when anime did not really exist in America, not the way that it does today, like when mm. it was new and when people were like, oh my God, what's this? What's the, what are these weird cartoons? And like <laughs> when it was just coming, you know, anime and manga came for the first time in a, in a big way. I mean, I know that stuff was on TV, uh, here and there. I mean, like, um. Star Blazers was on, or there's a couple other uh, shows that kind of like got got localized and were kind of on American TV without people really knowing what was up with that. Just seeing that these, oh, these cartoons look a little different. Oh, well, whatever. And then nobody really, you know, knowing that they were from Japan or anything. So that was a thing before. And they kind of just stayed that way for a while. And then, and then it got big. And so like when I was watching anime, it was when people were getting bootleg tapes from I don't know where, and they would like go to the local community college and like find whatever room was not being used by a teacher and like, play it on the TV <laughs> or you go over to someone's house and they had a video of something and like none of it was like legit. Like it was all copied and pirated. <laughs> and then like manga started coming in at that time. I think Viz was the company that was bringing a lot of stuff in. And then we were starting to read it and it kind of slowly took on, uh, you know, more and more popularity. It was nowhere near what it is today. So I mean, when I was watching anime back then, I mean, it was way different stuff. It was like Lum. It was like Ranma One Half. It was uh, Battle Angel before, way before the movie, way before James Cameron fell in love with uh, Alita. Um, 
you know, all that kind of stuff. And there was like a whole bunch of like porny, porny stuff that was coming at the same time too. Like <laughs> Aratsuki Doji was like the big one, or I think um, La Blue Girl was one of them, or, you know. So that's kind of what the scene was. And that was like way, 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 like, like long time ago, uh, 20, 25 years ago or something. So I fell out of it after a while because after a while it just started seeming like a lot of just the same stuff. And I started just noticing the tropes and it was just, I just got real tired of it. It didn't seem like it was, um, staying fresh for me. So I kind of bowed out and that was before Cowboy Bebop came along, but I've heard of it. I've heard people say it's really good. I've had some people recommend it to me and I've had people tell me specifically, if you don't like anime, this is the one anime to watch because (laughs) that's the one that is really well done for whatever reason. So I'm interested in it. Uh, this is really fortunate that you're starting to watch it. So what do you think of it right now? Or I mean, would you recommend it to me or what do you like? I mean, tell us a little more about it. Um, well, the good news is that I do like it so far, but like I said, I'm only like six or seven episodes in, but, um, so just like to set the scene a little bit of the show, maybe for people who aren't as familiar or who are kind of like me who kind of knew of it, but, um, it's start, it's basically a show in the future about, um, kind of like intergalactic bounty hunters. Um, I don't really know what the realms of space are as far as like the galaxy that they're in, but they go to different planets. They have spaceships and they're flying. And so it's very much like kind of free kind of guardians of the galaxy, if you will, like just kind of out there in the universe. Um, and it stars the lead character. His name is Spike and he's voiced by Steve Bloom, who has voiced like Jesus Christ, like only a character in every video game ever, probably for like every game that's ever been put out in the world. He's got a very familiar voice. If you know who he is, it's very grumbly. I know that doesn't really like describe much, but it's very distinctive grumble um but spike is like kind of a cool bounty hunter he wears like a blue suit and he's just very like kind of like like the epitome of like a cool guy like he's really like slender and he knows like martial arts and he can like shoot guns and he smokes cigarettes and it's just kind of like this very kind of like 90s idea of like what like a cool-headed cool guy is and then his partner his name is jet and he is he has like a prosthetic arm he wears this kind of amazing, like, blue jumpsuit. I didn't even realize it was, like, a onesie until a few episodes in. And he's sort of, like... I mean, Spike knows how to handle himself, but Jet sort of looks like more of the muscle of the operation because he's, like, bigger and bulkier, where Spike is kind of, um... I don't know, like, pretty, like, lanky and pretty thin. And then a few episodes in, they meet um, a female character named Faye Valentine, and she is also a bounty hunter... And so eventually the three of them become kind of like the trio of the show. And they, like, she's, Faye is in a few episodes before they kind of, like, take her into their ship. And then she kind of, like, helps run uh, bounties with them and stuff. And I like her because Faye, I mean, she definitely kind of has that anime, like, bimbo kind of look. Because she wears, like a crop top with like really short shorts and she's like impossibly thin and has like big old boobies and like purple hair. But I like that in a lot of episodes, she kind of does that thing where she, it's almost like a black widow type of thing where she like uses her sexuality to gain the upper hand on dudes that she's trying to hunt for bounties. So it's like, sometimes she seems kind of like the like lady anime dits. And then other times she's like, you know, leaning over the bar stool to, like, get the attention of a guy as if she's, like, a prostitute, and then she, like, pulls out a gun and puts it to his chin and is like, all right, you know, fuck you, I'm taking you in. And it's just kind of, like, a cool... Um, I realize that's a very, like, 13-year-old boy version of what, like, a strong female character is, but I kind of dig it. Um, 
but the three of them uh, kind of make the tag team that's going on here. And I know that there's another character that comes in later that's like a younger kid. And I think the next episode I'm watching is the one where that character comes in. So I don't really know much about uh, whoever that is yet. But um, but the thing that I kind of, I guess I, that something that I kind of like and also don't like about it is that it has like, I like the episodes kind of, they're at... God, how am I going to say this? It's almost like sitcom-y in a way where, like, the main plot of every episode kind of has nothing to do with the episode after it, almost in, like, a Star Trek Voyager way, but the episodes still build on each other. So as far as I've been in, like, the six or seven episodes I've watched, there's not, like, one big bad that they're kind of hunting for the entire season. Like, every show is kind of about its own bounty or it kind of has its own enemy and its own hero which i like and the episodes are only like 25 minutes long so they're like really short and sweet it's like the perfect you know i'm sitting down to eat dinner real quick and i want to watch it you know an episode kind of situation which we've come back to time and time again on the show about you know short shows being nice um but so like i kind of wish that it were building up to more of a big bad because i have a feeling that it will get there but because there's an enemy named vicious that shows up about four episodes in and you can kind of tell that he's like the foil to spike he's kind of like where spike is like the cool good guy um vicious is very much like the evil bad guy and he like has a samurai sword and kind of of like cool white hair and he almost kind of has like a sephiroth vibe going on about him like from final fantasy and he shows up in one episode and that was probably the most impactful episode that i've seen so far because you can tell that spike has a lot of personal stakes in what's going on in the episode but then when the episode's over, I was expecting that storyline to continue, and then it did not continue. So I'm assuming it'll come back up later in the season because it seemed like a really significant thing, um, but just hasn't come back up. Which is it's funny to me that I'm like talking about the show this way because like it's like 20 years old and I act like it's it just came out and I'm like oh my god what's gonna happen am I gonna spoil this? Um, but uh, but I I mean I really like it I think it's very cool it's very I like the animation style it just looks very I, i'm tempted to say very stylish but that actually doesn't really mean anything um i just like the episodes i just kind of wish because like something that ghost in the shell standalone complex does is it has um what it called what it's what are called the standalone episodes and then it has the complex episodes i think is what they say because obviously it's called standalone complex and the standalone episodes whenever you start them they let you know like on the title screen like this is an episode that has nothing to do with anything else like yeah there'll still be all the characters it'll have the character development It'll have, like, a you know, a main bad guy, and they're going to go hunt him or whatever. Like, Section Nine's going to go after him. But then you have the complex episodes, and that's, like, the overarching sort of, like, theme of the show where they're after the Laughing Man, who's this, like, really skilled hacker who pulled off this, I don't know, like, database heist or something. Um, and so it, like, segments its episodes where, like, as soon as you watch it, you either know it's going to be, like, an offshoot episode or you know it's going to be connected to the main plot. And I kind of wish Cowboy Bebop does that because it's a little all over the place. It's still enjoyable, but it's just like, I kind of wish there were more of like an overarching thing going on. Um, but that aside, I still really like it. And it the fact that it doesn't have overarching thing kind of things kind of lets the shows tie up in like weird ways that kind of disconnect with the next episode. Like one of the characters might almost die and be you know, in, like, head-to-toe bandages at the end of one episode, and then I start up the next episode thinking, okay, well, what's going to be the aftermath of this? And then the character is totally back to normal, just, like, jumping around, ready to go do bounty hunting and stuff, so it's, like, kind of silly, but it's also, like, I can get... I'm totally on board with it at the same time. Um, but so far, I like it, and I'm planning on 
kind of continuing to watch it. Like I said, I think it's only like 26 episodes, so it's not really that much of a time commitment. I mean, if you can watch, you know, two episodes in under an hour, um, I could probably finish it in one night if I wanted to, but I'm not really about that binge-watching life. So I will continue to watch it and get back to you whenever I finish it, I think. Cool. Well, we're always on the hunt for uh, something to watch for father and son time. That seems like it might be a good fit. Uh, my wife is pretty anti-anime. Not <laughs> not for any particular reason. I think she's just, like, everything she's ever tried to watch has been, like, really shit. So, and, there, and to be fair, there's a lot of really bad anime out there. Um, what's that sound? Oh, it's the sound of anime fans screaming in the background. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, in fact, truth be told, there's a lot of really bad anime. Like there's a lot of bad movies, like there's a lot of bad TV. I'm not singling out anime in general, but if you don't know anything about anime and you don't have a person to guide you to the good stuff, I think you're probably going to stumble through a lot of garbage. And I think my wife, the, the few times she's tried to watch it, has been like, what the fuck is this garbage? Get this out of here. <laughs> um, so keep us posted. I may check it out. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere, but we'll find it. But I, I do think it's interesting that you're kind of seeing it through the lens of a modern viewer, whereas you know, 20 years ago or whatever that came out, I'm sure it was probably revolutionary in a lot of ways. Um, and now that, you know, I mean, keeping in mind that it's so old, I mean, I, I, I kind of would wonder, um, you know, how that character of the show is different these days. Because, like, oh, your first inclination is, oh, I wish it was kind of serialized a little bit more or I wish, you know, uh, it was a little bit different. And so I wonder, like, how much of that was going on back then, how much of it was not going on, like, what was the, the context when the show was produced, um, because I remember it being a standout even back then. I remembered hearing a lot about it when it came out. Um, but unfortunately, I was already out of anime by that time, so I kind of didn't care. <laughs> um, so I think it would be interesting to look at it through a historical lens and then kind of contrast that with today. But I am not that guy. I don't have that knowledge. Sounds like you're not that guy either, but at least we can talk about it uh, after you see the show. Maybe I'll give it a couple episodes. We'll see. Uh, I have one more thing. How much How much uh, you got left on your plate, man? I have approximately zero more things, so you can close out banter with whatever you have next. Okay, perfect. Um, you know, I am just a sucker-ass bitch for superhero shows. I just, I love them all. <laughs> I watch them all. Um, very few superhero shows that I dislike. I, I do dislike some of them, but uh, I heard about Doom Patrol. Have you seen or heard about Doom Patrol? I have watched approximately one trailer on YouTube for this, but I haven't. I don't know if I have access to the show because I don't know what I don't think I have whatever streaming service it's on. But I've seen a YouTube trailer for it. Uh, I probably watched it a couple months ago, and that's all I know so far. All right, I'm not much of a DC Comics fan. They have never really been my jam. I've always been more of a Marvel guy, and like I said, that has paid off for me in spades lately. But <laughs> um, there have been a few DC comics over the years that I've enjoyed. Unfortunately, Doom Patrol was never one of them. I didn't know anything about it. I mean, I heard of it. I knew it was a comic. But that's all I knew. I'm like, oh, yeah, DC comic. It's weird or something. That's all I know. I don't know anything about it. Um, so I, I watch a trailer and I'm like, oh, this seems kind of like dark and edgy and weird. And I like superhero shows. So maybe we'll give this a shot. Um, so just FYI, the, fr the complete first episode is available on YouTube. You can watch the whole first episode on YouTube. I strongly recommend watching the first episode. I thought it was quite cool. I thought it was very interesting. Uh, I'll tell you about the show and then I'll tell you where to watch the rest of it. So the rest, of, basically the show is like a group of loser misfit superheroes um, are gathered together by this kind of like Professor X sort of a dude. And he's just like having this giant house, which is like the, the home for superheroes that don't have a home anywhere else or super, super enabled people. They make very clear that they're not heroes. They say it pretty often in the show. So I don't mean to say they're the heroes. They're not heroes. Uh -huh. 
they are people who just happen to have something weird about them or some kind of superpower or something, but they are not heroes. They're not necessarily good guys. They're not necessarily people who are looking out for others. Um, so like on the team, for example, there's a guy who was a really shitty dad. He was like a NASCAR driver, mean to his wife, terrible father, crashes. And what happens is his brain his, is the only thing that survives. Uh, so his brain gets implanted into like a, a fully robotic body. And he is played by Brendan Fraser, which really surprised me. I'm like, oh, my God, Brendan Fraser. <laughs> what? He hasn't been in anything in like 20 years. I mean, I guess so. Uh, he still looks like Brendan Fraser. He's put on a lot of weight. He is a lot older. Uh, and he looks exactly like a girl that I know, which I find to be very disturbing to me. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that Brendan Fraser looks feminine. I'm saying that my friend who is a girl looks quite masculine. Um, the way that Brendan Fraser looks now, he is the spitting twin of this girl that I know. And it's really fucking <laughs> disturbing to me. But the good thing is he he's a robot, right? So I never have to look at his face. He just like acts through the robot suit or whatever, which I think is actually making his acting better because he's a terrible actor. Um, <laughs> there's also Matt Bomer. Do you, are you familiar with um, Matt Bomer? Yeah, he, he was... is the gay guy from Magic Mike. That's how I know him. But I know he's been in other things. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. Yeah, exactly. He is. He was on a show on USA that I really liked a lot. He played like an art thief and he was teaming up with an FBI agent to catch other thieves. I do not remember the name of the show. I've been trying to remember. I meant to Google it before we got on the show. I can't remember. But that was like a really good show. I loved him on that show. And I have not seen Magic Mike. Uh, so I, I trust he's, you know, in good shape in that show. I believe it. Uh, but in this show, he plays a test pilot from the 50s who was secretly gay. And so he had a wife and a kid because, of course, it wasn't cool to be gay in the 50s. And so part of him being a test pilot was like this kind of like self-destructive urge to just like, Oh, you know, maybe if I die in an explosion, I won't have to deal with any of this shit because I'm not happy being who I am and I can't be who I am. And I mean, pretty interesting stuff for, for a superhero. Right. And so like, that was who he is. Um, he, something, something happens and he gets a superpower. Uh, there's like a lady who is really awful. She was like an actress in like the twenties and she something happens to her and and whenever she gets nervous her physical form turns into like jello oh she so, like melts right yeah she kind of melts and she kind of gets all goopy and weird that's really weird <laughs> there's a woman who has like 64 different personalities because of some trauma and like every single one of her personalities has like a different superpower so she's constantly like flipping through them and um the actor that does, I don't know her name, but she was on a couple other shows, does a good job of like flipping back and forth between the different personalities. And each personality has like one small visual difference. So like it kind of helps the reader to kind of, or not the, the reader, Jesus, <laughs> helps, helps the viewer kind of keep track of which personality she is at the time because her hair will be a certain way and always that way for this one character or she'll get like a scar that wasn't there before when she's this other character. So it's not huge. I mean, you, she doesn't ever like change the way she looks all the way, but you can tell, Oh, she's somebody different now. So that's kind of cool. Um, but they kind of just go around and do some shit. Uh, they're really depressed for like a lot of it. They're kind of like kind of dealing with their own problems, uh, for a little while, some evil dudes show up and they kind of deal with that. We're about maybe halfway through the show right now. And I really dig it a lot. I feel like it's got a lot of, um, interesting writing they're on a separate channel that's not on the network so they're free to like cuss and swear there's been some sex there's been a couple of like extremely gruesome violent scenes not there's not a lot of it but there's been a couple times when like the the robot guy uh brendan fraser like he comes across a couple of modern day nazis and he punches them and they just like 
they like vaporize into blood because it punches <laughs> them so hard. I'm like, oh shit, that looked fucking raw. I mean, so it's cool when that happens. They don't do it a lot, but it's pretty good. So, so all the gloves are off. They can do whatever they want to do, which is really good. And I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. I like the team composition. Uh, the leader, the prof- the professor X of the group is like Timothy Dalton. So they have like a couple oh, of like, like James Bond, Timothy Dalton. Yeah, he is. He is the Professor X guy. So there's a couple of like big actors that I recognize. Uh, and the main bad guy of the show is one of the guys that was from Firefly, who does a lot of voice work these days. I don't know what his name is, but he's a popular dude. He goes to like a lot of sci-fi conventions. He's in a lot of sci-fi shows. He's very popular. Uh, and I like that guy, too. I just can't remember what his name is. So there's a lot of like surprisingly like weighty actors on the show. I'm like, this is not just a bunch of nobodies. So it's pretty cool. Uh, and I dig it. I dig it. I think it's a really good show. So the issue with this show is how to watch it, which is a little bit weird. Uh, I did not even realize that DC is starting its own streaming service. Oh my God. Of course they're starting their own streaming service. Right. So like I, I'm on, I'm YouTubing. We're like, I go to Hulu. It's not there. I go to, iTunes, it's not there. I go to Amazon Prime, it's not there. And I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ, where the fuck is the show? Where am I supposed to watch this goddamn show? And so I, I get on just straight up Google and I'm like, oh my God, what? I'm like, DC has its own streaming service? What the fuck is this? So they do. It's called like, uh, it's like DC Ultimate or something like that. Oh my God. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so, I don't want to subscribe to another fucking service. I don't want to do it. Like, I don't mind buying specific shows a la carte. Like, I'll buy a season of something. That doesn't bother me. But I but don't sign me up for like this auto pay month to month bullshit, right? So like I'm like, okay, I really wanted to watch the show. I was totally in the mood for this. What else do they have? And they have a bunch of like weird random like old TV shows from that that featured DC characters in the past. They have some animated shows. I'm like, there's there's not much on this channel. I'm like, why the fuck would I subscribe to this? Uh, but they did have the entire first season of Doom Patrol and two days from now they are going to be starting a brand new series based on Swamp Thing. Are you familiar with Swamp Thing at all? I watched the trailer for this series yesterday, and it looks very good, surprisingly good. Yeah, I watched the trailer for it yesterday, too, and I was like, oh, damn, that looks pretty good. <laughs> that does look pretty good. And, I mean, I've been very happy with the quality of Doom Patrol. Well, I'm like, if they're going to do Swamp Thing with an equivalent level of quality of Doom Patrol, then I'll stick around. Like, I'm not going to be, like, a fucking lifetime subscriber, but, like, <laughs> I'll, I'll join up. It's, like, $8 a month or it's $70 a year. And I'm like, okay, so look, if we pay 8 bucks now, we can guaranteed watch the entire first season in less than a month. We can quit after a month. And then when season two pops up, we'll just join up for one month, pay another $8 and watch that. I mean, I, you might as well just put it on fucking iTunes because... <laughs> Come on, you know, I'm not going to subscribe to your whole thing month to month, but I'll do that. But I am very interested in in Swamp Thing. That looks dark and scary and like a totally brand new take on the character. And I've kind of been a Swamp Thing uh, fan for a while. That's one of the very few DC comics where I actually did read it and I did enjoy it. That was a pretty good run. Um, Several good runs on Swamp Thing. Uh, So when I saw that trailer, I was like, oh, man. Okay, so I guess we're going (laughs) to hang on for one more month because this looks pretty good. Uh, But they also have titans which is the other big draw uh i don't know you you know titans at all teen titans i mean you must have heard of it i've heard of teen titans and i think you've maybe have talked about it on the show before but i don't know what just titans is so it's okay so it's like the teen titans cartoon and also it's like a comic book and all the stuff like you know forgive me dc fans i'm not super up on my dc lore but like <laughs> it's like robin who is no longer with batman cyborg uh starfire i think her name is there's a 
Beast Boy, who can change into animals, and Raven, who's like a magic user, I think. <laughs> Something like that. Um, so they're on the Teen Titans that my son watched. It's cartoon, and it's super goofy, and it's kind of annoying, but it's really popular. <laughs> but Titans, the show, is like those same characters, live action, and like dark and grim and gritty. So like, you know, I don't know. Like one of the famous clip from that show was like, oh, is when Robin's like, "Fuck Batman." Exactly, exactly. Okay, Literally that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I know. Everybody, I've watched that trailer. I know exactly what you're talking about now. Yes. Everybody on Earth <laughs> saw the trailer where Robin's like, "Fuck Batman," and then it was like, "Oh my God, what? So How rude!" Like, where my manners? Like, I know. Like, you cool shit. He totally took you to that fucking orphanage and gave you cool, cool shorts and a motorcycle. You dick. <laughs> anyway, so that's the show. So we may we may watch that. That looks a little bit edgier than doom patrol is I'm, I'm suspecting there's probably a lot more sex and blood so maybe that'll be like an after after the kid goes to bedtime show but maybe we'll, we'll check these out i'll check out titans i'm digging doom patrol and swamp thing looks pretty badass i hope it's as good as the trailer makes it look uh so we're currently subscribing to dc ultimate which i can't even believe that i'm even doing but <laughs> for eight bucks i think that's pretty fair to get an entire season of tv and if i get one more season of like if i get a whole season of swamp thing out of it for eight bucks that'll be fine too so and That's you know what's going to happen? As soon as, like, Swamp Thing is about to wrap up, they're going to drop a trailer for another show that's going to look surprisingly good, and you're going to be like, well, I guess, like, in a month I can watch that, and then they're going to drop another trailer for another show, and they're just going to keep hooking you for the rest of your life. I mean, maybe, but if they keep all being <laughs> as good as this one, I guess I won't be mad about it. I'll be like, okay, well, I guess I got some good shows out of this, so that would be fine. <laughs> anyway, heads up, DC's got a thing... Doom Patrol episode one is really good and edgy and weird and cool. It's on YouTube. Uh, the season so far is pretty good, and Swamp Thing looks bad as hell. So I guess maybe DC's not going to be the complete joke that I kind of have thought them to be. But it's weird, though, because just, I know we've got to wrap up here. I feel like I feel like the wrap-up <laughs> vibe happening here. But like I've always felt like, D, like Marvel has dominated the movies. I have not really liked a lot of DC movies. But I feel like DC has been pretty good on TV because I've enjoyed The Flash. I enjoyed Arrow. I enjoyed Supergirl. I enjoyed Legends of Tomorrow. And those are all DC heroes, and they've all been pretty good. Black Lightning, also a DC hero, also really good. So I think DC's been better on TV. So maybe this is just continuing that trend. DC is, is finding its footing on, on, on TV, and Marvel controls the box office. I mean, I think that's, that seems fine to me. That seems okay. So Anyway, there we go. There we go, folks. There we go. And I think we should probably talk about some games. I could not agree more. All right, let's talk about some games.